is the conqueror. No, I'm Alexander. He's no Alexander. I'm the best ever. There's never right. been anybody that's right. I'm Sonny Liston. I'm Jack Dempsey. There's no one like me. I'm from their club. There's no one that can match me. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. I want to eat your children. It was just banter. Stay off the weed! And England win on penalties! History in itself! You know, I think it's a great city. I think they got the best organization in the NBA. But they do have some big old wins. I'm here with the winner, Derek Lewis. Derek, why don't you take your pants off? Balls are fun. I understand. Come on, take it quickly, Reggie! Yes, good match. No wonder he's in the fucking reserves. Listen, I ain't gonna forget about this by the time we get him by the way. Hello and welcome to episode 228 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett, Alex Jones and Jack Harper. Plenty to get into this week, news of the week to kick us off. We've got Chelsea in the Champions League final. Is Brendan Rodgers bossling it again? Um, I've written Lampard in the mud on this. Um, I obviously (laughs) was taking it out on him at the time. Um, And Billy Joe Saunders quitting against Canelo, which we'll get into... uh, a little later. News of the week, though, to kick us off as per. I was kind of scrolling, not thinking there was much, and then it all kind of jumped out to me at once. So I'll uh, I'll take you through what's been going on over the last seven days. Uh, a Missouri hiker was shot in the chest after being mistaken for a turkey, police say. <laughs> Big old turkey. Yeah, I think this is the issue with just everyone having a gun in America. <laughs> yeah. It's a good it's a good you can only use that cop out once though, can't you? So, I swear, I thought he was a turkey. Well, you can't use that twice. Have I told any of you that someone tried breaking into my dad's house at the weekend? No. <laughs> yeah, but about two AM um on Saturday night, because I was up watching the UFC and he texted me saying um he heard a noise and his his garage isn't connected to his house, but he heard a noise in his garage. Um went outside to check it. And there was a bloke in there having a rattle around. And the bloke said to him, what the fuck are you doing sneaking up on people? (laughs) Whereabouts was this? Um, He lives, oh, I don't want to say too, but he lives like by Tesco-ish. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, so um, then he he went back in the house to uh, phone the police or whatever. And the guy was like smacking on the window and that and then did a runner Jeez. police came out and was like yeah not much we can do lock your doors so have a good night problem is is that if you're going to get caught you might as well double down because you leave yourself well you, they didn't get caught they'd be gone before uh, I, I meant more, the, more so like if you get caught looking around in someone's garage you've got to double down on it and act crazy because then you don't <laughs> want to approach them well, that, thankfully they didn't well, Don't be giving these people tips. <laughs> I'm just thinking that someone turns around, oh, sorry, mate. He gives them the upper hand straight away. Whereas if you yeah. turn around and say, what the fuck are you doing in my garage? 
Yeah. You just what? turn around and go. He turn around and go. What the fuck are you doing in my garage? Well, it's like <laughs> like quantum leap into an alternate reality where it's just someone else's garage, isn't it? That split second does he get to get away? Well, it's one of them. I was I was in bed last night and I knew the door was locked, but I was thinking, is the door locked? Well, I'd get out of bed and go and check. It was. Oh uh, yeah, I had that the other day. It was a transit van parked across my driveway at three a.m. Apparently, I got told by a neighbour. It's uh. One of the, probably one of the communities because I've got some building work going on up in Copper, I imagine. But it's like we've been locking everything, like too scared to leave the dog downstairs and stuff like that. Nightmare. And then once it's in your head, you can't drift off like that. Me and I saw the other day of being sat up at 3 a.m. and wondering who Salomon Kalu plays for now <laughs> um, and having to check it before you can sleep. Is it still billet? It's not. Um, it was someone cool. Um, He's he's playing for. I thought it was. Uh, yeah, he's playing for um, Botafogo, um, the uh, Brazilian team. Oh, nice. So he's out living the life. My guy. Um, Beacon Hill barber back at work after a freak accident in which he tripped and fell on his own scissors. That's too many go. That's some Final Destination business. Um, Malian woman has just given birth to nine babies, says Health Ministry. Wow. And they're all they're all healthy. Right. <laughs> what do they call that? Nine tablets? It's something like that. I, I, I'm surprised they have a name for it because you should be one of them where it shouldn't be that common that they need a name, but yeah, it's, it's something like that. Um, it is. You, you've, you've either got to think of the positive light of that, which is I could, one of these is going to become a football star. It's like Project Mbappe starts pretty soon. <laughs> or that this is going to cost me a shit ton of money. Oh, no, fact she was. Nine babies. That's a lot, yeah. Um. Newly released books suggest that the con man depicted in Catch Me If You Can has been lying about his story all along. It's all a hoax. <laughs> <laughs> so there is like a genuine book about this. So I did. I saw the headline earlier in the week. Um, I mean, we could be shocked. He, he claims that the guy was basically just stalked the woman um, in which you see in the film. And it's just not quite the cool story that you go on to see. But con man in the name should have given him uh, some kind of idea. Uh, Georgia boy, 11 years old, jumps from school bus onto passing truck. Um, not quite Dominic Toretto style. He was taken into hospital when he come more jumped into a truck. <laughs> I don't know how big these windows are in American school buses that you're jumping out of a window. But there we go. Do you think he clambered up? Do you think he clambered up onto the roof first? After climbing out the window, because I'm picturing one of those American yellow buses. Do you think well, he's this is an 11 year old boy, Alex? I thought you have some respect. Well, he's no. definitely been thought. Oh, you know, well, like sort of what are you looking out at the window for the lagging top. a bit there? Me? Yeah. I'm lagging. Maybe a you've connection. So you've, you've not got. What are you watching at the same time, Alex? I'm you not watching anything. Oh. You've been lagging. Uh, 
Japanese town was given over $7 million for COVID-19 relief, and they used 230000 to build a giant squid statue. <laughs> Nothing shocks me with Japan. Like, you, could, <laughs> you could tell me anything, and I'm going to believe it. <laughs> um, bride leaves groom at altar for failure to receive... Bride leaves groom at the altar for failure to recite his multiplication tables. <laughs> biggest nerd wedding ever. Well, there was another headline where it claimed it was the two times table, so it may be fair. Although I feel like if it was that much of an issue, <laughs> you've got to test him on the day. But why is this like a prerequisite to the marriage? Uh, I don't know. Maybe she doesn't want dumb kids. Yeah, maybe. Um, Iraq's prank TV show depicting ISIS attacks is taken off the air. Seems like that's not a good prank show. To yeah. go they were doing it in public it. places. Yeah, do they not hear what happened at Charlie Hebdo? I think like, they were asking for trouble. Yeah. Um, people are eating rotten raw meat to get high in dangerous online trend. I did see the headline about that. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not going to partake. <laughs> um, Serbia will give $30 equivalent to every person who gets vaccinated and unvaccinated people won't be paid sick leave if they catch coronavirus or anything else. So, <laughs> <laughs> even if you, you, you get hit by a truck or something, if you haven't had your COVID jab, you're not getting sick pay. That's one way to go about it. Um, you know what we always say about scientists on here? So... Uh, are animated dads getting hotter? Scientists are investigating. <laughs> How many scientists got better things to do? <laughs> Apparently not. How um, are they investigating? I don't understand that. I don't, I don't know. Um, Nick Diaz will be teaching all sorts of self-defence shit to adult cam girls as part of a new deal. Nate Diaz? Nick Diaz, his older brother. All right. The OG. Um... The first bottles of an artisanal spirit made using apples grown near the Chernobyl nuclear power plant have been seized by Ukrainian authorities. How much of a buzz are you looking for? (laughs) All right, here's a question. How much would it take for you to have a shot at that? Well, I don't drink much as it is, so that would be a big leap for me. One shot, though, you'd take a chance. (laughs) Someone's yeah, I mean, up. yeah. Okay. I, I would hope I'm not getting some kind of radiation sickness from that. Like, have you not watched? Have you not watched? Have you have you not watched the the series Chernobyl? Have you seen any of the photos of what I haven't? The but I've seen it. the Chernobyl film where zombies start coming around. So yeah. maybe well, I'll have more of not... a warning. <laughs> I, I'd rather not risk it because that is a one a hell of a nasty way to go. I actually I watched the first episode of it while I was eating and it was making me feel sick with all the wounds, so I didn't go back after. Would you rather do that or the dodgy meat? That I think. The dodgy meat not for me. I mean I don't like a steak too rare, so You don't, that's true. You're... I suppose you've got a fifty fifty chance of it giving you superpowers at the same time. I was I was, I was gonna say though, like if it was beef, you'd kinda of be alright with you. You can you can well, if it's not is rotten. <laughs> Why not? It's something to kill, yeah? 
Oh, it might do. Oh, it, it might do, Jack. <laughs> don't go, don't go <laughs> to the zebra chance. I like my chicken rare, though. That's how I eat my chicken. I've never on fire. What? <laughs> Bit of blood in there. Lovely. Yeah. Two more headlines then. Ohio fugitives sent police a selfie because he didn't like the mugshot they were circulating to find him. <laughs> sorry, I, hope he, I, I hope he's still on the run. <laughs> they haven't caught him yet. Did that not happen in Gloucester? There was a Gloucester light. It was on Gloucester spot the other day that Gloucester constabulary... Constabri- oh, yeah, oh, I did God. see the post. Yeah, the comments were cringing me. Yeah. yeah. Um, finally, last headline. A colossal frog the size of a human infant has been found hiding near a village in America. <laughs> Didn't tell me where, but a frog the size of a human infant, that's not a village you want to be going to. <laughs> Sad some of that vodka, isn't it? <laughs> Also about meat. So there we go. Those are the headlines for this week. Um, I do like to do things in order usually, but if you don't mind, Jack, we'll, we'll go straight into Arsenal before we go on to Chelsea. Um, <laughs> I just want to kind of get it off my chest and then no, I can it's, enjoy it's the rest fine. of the pod I've properly. I've the pressure builder like from Thursday till now, so now is your chance to get it off your chest, pal. Yeah, um, I do have quite a lot to get off my chest. So... Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously, we for those, that, I, for those that have been living under a rock for the past uh, week, Arsenal did go out of um, the Europa League to the man formerly known as the Disgusting Man. Um, <laughs> a nil-nil draw was actually all it took to uh, knock Arsenal out feebly at home. So, um, I mean, the topic here is, should Arteta be out uh, that's more of just a prerequisite to what we're going to get into so um oh, i said last week that i was now firmly arteta out the, the lack of a subile substitute before he was red carded before was like the final straw for me and i was now in that camp let me tell you what i saw on thursday night only made that a hundred times worse i finished a pod on thursday to see that Xhaka has been injured in the warm-up. Now, you would think that Tierney coming in wouldn't be too much of a hindrance, so much as a boost. Instead, Arteta has blamed the entire loss on that one issue. Um, Now, as others have said, if your system is completely railroaded by a centre-mid not being able to play at left-back, it's probably not a very good system to start with. (laughs) He, He kept the system the exact same, didn't allow a half-fit Tierney to even enter the second half of the pitch and wonders why there was no urgency. Um, we saw last night, to rub salt in the wound, how much of a different Saka can make at left-back, albeit against West Brom. But, I mean, the keepers, there was a big difference there, so it goes both ways. So, rather than make the obvious move, we saw Xhaka at left-back for seven consecutive games. We're told that this is a manager that you're going to have these bumps, that if you have a young manager, Jack heard the same thing with Lampard in charge. He's clearly not learning fast enough. If it takes you seven games of Granite Xhaka at left-back to see, he's probably not the one you want at left-back. Let alone build an entire system around him. It probably isn't the way to go. I mean, last night, as I said, against a garbage West Brom team, Saka at left-back, Pepe on the right wing. That was the easiest way to solve the Tierney injury issue. Saka got an assist last night, Pepe scored. And when he goes in after the match and says that, no, that hasn't made him think that he should have done things any differently on Thursday, 
if anything, it just gives him more regret that Xhaka was injured. Um, back to the game on Thursday. No urgency for the entire game, but I guess why would there be? When you take off a Bamiyang, the only bloke that looked close to scoring, then why should the other players feel like we're in a crisis? William got his first goal last night after 37 appearances. Commentator was saying we should be happy. It actually made me more angry. It was the only time my face changed the entire game. I resented him celebrating. <laughs> it was so typically William that he would finally do something meaningful in a game that no longer had any meaning to it. I won't even get started on the size of Lacazette on the bench yesterday. But we <laughs> sat through half a season with Bamiyang at left wing, which wasn't working. Lacazette centre-forward, which wasn't working with Bamiyang to the left-hand side. And William on the right. 37 appearances this season. Reese Nelson has not even been playing for the under-23, so they've kept him in limbo. But they bring that extra player in case someone gets injured to drag onto the bench. Emil Smith-Rowe was fit from October, wasn't brought in until January against Chelsea when there was no other choice. Arteta hasn't been back the way Lampard was, and that, that's not a dig at Lampard. It's just a fact. Because I'm sure Arteta wasn't told he was going to be back that way. But for him to claim in any way, because he started blaming the players now, which I said was the downturn for Jose and uh, Lampard similarly, for him to say he's not been backed, he got his man in Gabriel, who he then dropped for a journeyman like Pablo Mari in the biggest game of the season. Willing on 125 grand a week more than he should be paid by anyone and a year longer than Chelsea are willing to pay. He got Erdegaard on loan, who started well and his form's dropped the longer he's been at the club, coincidentally. He got Sobios back for another year, who I'm sure he's a lovely bloke, but the hatred I have for that man now. After, after, Thursday, after the game the Thursday before, I had a dream that I had a fight with Sobios. I don't want my <laughs> shirt last season. <laughs> I'm just actually I've forgotten he got Cedric back on 75 grand a week his biggest plus point is he's not Bellerin and he has some versatility and he's fallen behind a midfielder at left back and a centre back at right back he was on the bench for Southampton I'm just infuriated Chelsea saw it wasn't working with Lampard they sacked him they got Tuchel in, and now they're in a massive cup final plus the Champions League final. He was given a three and a half year deal, Arteta. We're not even halfway into that. He is the new disgusting man. He <laughs> will get more time. We know it as Arsenal fans because we've seen it before. Thursday night was his Baku moment where Emery should have gone after that. There were, several board, there were several board members that wanted to give Emery a new deal after that. Let's never forget that. But he didn't get one. He stayed in the job for another four months, ruined the next season, and we finished in eighth place. Did get an FA Cup, but not much consolation in the long run. This was the time to sack Arteta, but they're doing it again because he has nobody to answer to. I don't know if you know this. Edu is the only technical director in world football that answers to the manager which makes no sense and I could do a whole other rant on that bum. That's really interesting. It, it makes no sense. He essentially, Arteta was doing more work than the board probably thought he was going to be doing. So they appointed him manager 
And he's been given so much to do now that Eddie has said that he essentially bounces ideas off Arteta. It, it makes no sense. The owners don't care. Arteta, interesting if you look now, when you see some of the decisions he's making, look at his coaching staff. I think the only person that's of any kind of age is uh, Steve, uh, is, uh, Steve Round, who worked on David Moyes' staff when he got sacked at United, if that needs to tell you anything. Um, all of the other ones are like 20-year-old coaches because he clearly just wants to be the big man on site. Everyone kind of telling him what a great job he's doing. He is the best manager in the world. He's the, sorry, he's, he's the best in the world at sounding like a competent manager, but the worst at putting it into practice. I watched last night's game with any kind of emotion. There's four games left this season. The only reason I think I had any kind of interest was to see how badly William did. That was the only thing. I thought I had no emotion to it. I saw his name on the team sheet and it instilled some kind of rage in me. So I knew I did have some kind of care there. The next three will be the same. I'll have a summer of gassing myself about a transfer war chest that we're being told about, <laughs> as is the usual scenario. And then we'll sign enough players to stagnate further or drop down even lower. Emery was sacked for less than this. It makes no sense. And it is ruined at least until September when the season comes back again. Because I've got all season and we've got this bum in charge. What are we going to do if we sign someone? I'm, oh, brilliant. I'm sure he's a great player. Now he's going to get coached to death by Arteta. These players should have a certain level of attacking freedom to them. They're put in this system where they're scared to move any kind of way that isn't in his set of plans. And you can't even blame them because you make one wrong move and you're exiled to somewhere like Hertha Berlin. It must be bad if you're backing Gwendouzi. Gwendouzi <laughs> had a kid nine months after he was dropped by Arteta. You do the maths. <laughs> I can't wrap my head around it. I was waiting for it. And then the second I woke up on, on Friday, where if this bloke loves the club as much as he said he's done, he should have left. He is the luckiest bloke on earth. You knew that by the fact that hair's still on his head. That's a lucky <laughs> man to start with. <laughs> and it's tarried through because the second I saw the thing where the journalists start sneaking out saying, Look, Arteta's going to be given enough time over the summer and then they'll see how it goes at the start of next season. If you're giving it the, we'll see how it goes next season, you already have enough doubt there for you to be putting plans in saying it might not be going well here. The same happened previously where there was managers on the market. Um, Pep Guardiola was there. I'm not saying you would have got them, but at least you could put you, you, you can throw your hat in the ring Let's see how it goes. Klopp was there. I think, I'm sure he does have some ties to Liverpool, but Liverpool had a manager at the time when we should have sat Wenger. And we were the kind of club at the time that I'm sure the level that he was going to be going to didn't sack him, carried on. And now the same thing's going to happen again. I'm not saying there's some wonder guy out there, but you're just delaying it and delaying it and delaying the inevitable. Because what have, I can't think of any situation where you've seen a manager as an experience as this has actually turned it around. And with him coming out now saying we need to be ruthless, he said he needs to be ruthless and then starting Mohamed Al-Neni and Sabayos in midfield and William on the right wing. What is ruthless about this? 
he should want the opposite of ruthlessness because a roof a ruthless club would have sacked him six months ago. Now should we move on to Chelsea? <laughs> <laughs> so when you saw it unfolding. Talk me through your emotions. I mean, we've just got a lot For of... what? In general or just the Europa League? The Europa League, I think. The, 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 the Europa League talk... one was weird because with it being Emery there and they weren't playing particularly well, I don't know if you watched the game, I that did. keeper was one of the worst I've ever seen. I oh, played in some bad Brock of Albion side. <laughs> he might not have started. And we had a bloke that had the centre-back take the kick-off, take the goal kicks. <laughs> Aubameyang essentially passed it to him in the first half and it went through his legs. And so any other team in world football, you would think, you get shots at him. We've all been there at five-a-side where you've seen a dodgy keeper. If the first save they try to make, they, they palm it to the striker or something, you all collectively say between you, you just shoot at this bloke and we'll see, see what happens. Yeah. 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 He Rain came from a corner, he punched it and he went backwards. We had I mean, three shots on target over two legs. And one of them was a penalty. <laughs> and it was a soft penalty at that. Do you not think, like, you've got the talent there. Why, why isn't... I don't this this is the thing. The kitchen it, sink at it. Like, I know that a lot's been made of Williams' stats, and I love to berate him, don't, don't get me wrong. And, can I say this about the thing? The thing that Chelsea fans say, now I'm not saying he was a world beater at Chelsea. He wasn't this bad. This is the thing that's being overlooked by Chelsea yeah, fans when they just say... He wasn't this bad at Chelsea. In the last three seasons he was at Chelsea, he got like six goals. He was player of the season the season he left. Was he? Yeah. You can go and check. He was quite literally your your fan's player of the season. I thought it was Eden Hazard. The season that he joined us? Sure it was. I can't remember. Um, It was insane. You know, he didn't take it till May to score, put it that way. Yeah. No, that was Eden Hazard, the one season. (laughs) What I'm trying to say, though, is that I just can't get my head round why Mikel Anteta is not nil-nil, ten minutes to go, with Aubameyang, Lacazette. He subbed Aubameyang off I know. Lacazette, and he said afterwards that it was because he needed to keep a certain kind of structure. He subbed Eddie Nketiah on two minutes later. I would have just thrown it. That's your whole season in one game. Just throw every yeah. strike you have on it. And you're gonna, if you're going to go out, just lose. He's just on Mr. Blobby in a midget to save the season. <laughs> Mr. Blobby. <laughs> the, the, thing, this was, the way the keeper was, I was obviously annoyed, but it wasn't until I realised the clock was at about 80 minutes where I was, where I was thinking like, this actually might not happen. And then I was at the point where I was so sick of it that I was like, even if we score here, we're going to get battered in the final. So do I want to go out to Unai Emery or do I want to go out to United in a final? That that was the point I was at. But then still, when Aubameyang hits the post, you're like, okay, we're starting to do something here. It was overhit cross by Bellerin, by the way, that got there. He, he actually started the next game because he supposedly had such a good game. Um, in, no, sorry. He started the game against Newcastle and that earned him a start here. The selection thing is mental to start with. 
I don't want to sound like Soonis or those kind of blokes where they have those weird Sundays, don't they, where there'll be a tactical discussion and then they just say, football isn't really this complicated. And you're like, it's kind of what you're paid to do to break it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's somewhere in between where you're like, you're making this more complicated than it is. Yeah. Because I understood previously, if you thought we were going to suffer that much with taking Saka off the right wing, which yesterday showed, I mean, he broke into the side as a left back. Um, then you play Jacker there and he created this kind of hybrid formation where it was party as a lone midfielder and he had one of the worst games I've ever seen against Villarreal in the second leg. He just looked knackered. But the idea was that Sabayos then touched across. Jacker doesn't go past the halfway line and it comes into sign of a playmaking role where he's protected. But then when you put Tierney in that position, what kind of stubbornness do you have to have? Because for all Tierney's defensive capabilities, that's not why he's rated the way he is. He's rated because he does that little stutter step, gets to the byline and crosses it in, which when you have a guy like a Bamiyang, if you do that enough times, it's going to be put in the back of the net. So for him to say you had to stick with the, had to stick with the system made no sense because it showed that you were going into that game as negative as it looked. We weren't, we weren't playing Man City. When we played Man City in the FA Cup in the way we did, and when we played Chelsea in the FA Cup the way we did, it made sense to play like that because we clearly had an inferior squad on paper and so we had to take the chances when we got them. Villarreal, it's hard to say they're a worse team than us after they've just gone through over two legs, <laughs> but they are a good team. They just lost to Celta Vigo 4-1 at the weekend. It made no sense, and it's just stubbornness for the sake of stubbornness. You play a false nine in the first leg and don't make changes until the 90th minute. Go back and watch the first leg, by the way. He subbed on William in stoppage time. I don't know if he's getting a cut of his appearance feel or something. <laughs> like William slipping in 75 grand on the side. Because that made no sense at all. <laughs> And then this time, it it just made no sense. I, I'm culpable to an extent, because there are some Arsenal fans that do quite literally pin that second leg on William playing for nine minutes. I'm on the thinking that it certainly didn't help our cause when you take off a, when you take off a Bamiyan for William. It's, it's funny because the <laughs> William agenda is carried over through two fan bases because he's just an easy guy. To get I don't even think you you start off on the back foot already when when you come from a rival team. If Giroud had gone to Chelsea and he'd stunk up the place right from the start, then he would have been an easy target to turn on because he's not in good graces to start with. The William one was strange because the Giroud one, I think for for cheap money, even though we didn't pay a fee for William, but there wasn't such a big thing made about the Giroud thing as it was. It was kind of lauded as decent bit of business, gave you something a bit different and hopefully he can contribute and he's contributed more than perhaps you would have expected. The William one, he was on the back burner from the start and then he he's had a big thing. One of the only times he's opened his mouth is to speak to Arsenal.com complaining about the abuse he gets. <laughs> Easy way to stop that abuse. Play good. Play good football and you won't be abused. <laughs> I could have story him in a way that 
I, I, I don't feel sorry for him in the slightest. I tweeted <laughs> yesterday that I'd like him to be Canelo's next fight. <laughs> that would be too easy. I'd rather have him in with someone like Inoue. Let him take some, take some time with him rather than just being in with a beast like Canelo. It, it's, and he's, he's, not, he's not the only issue. Pablo Mari, I don't know why he's rated by Arsenal fans. Rob Holding, give me strength. He, I keep catching myself, so I'm about to say he's a mid-table player. We're in ninth place. This is what <laughs> Mikel Arteta's Arsenal has done to me. And it's going to be worse next season. We're linked with Basuma. You can see he's an Arsenal fan. The other clubs he's linked with are City and Liverpool. Now, I don't know if, I don't know if people are more honest in real life than you are when you play football manager. But if I'm trying to sign a player and they say to me, am I going to be playing much? I find it hard to believe that any manager says to them, no, you're not going to be playing. They probably give them a little wink and say, look, I don't have a set team. You can earn your way in and stay in. And then which ones are you going to choose? Our fans were getting hyped up to sign Camavinia today. His biggest choice this summer has been whether he wants to go to PSG, Real Madrid or Bayern. There's Arsenal fans thinking we're going to get him because of the picture of him playing FIFA in an Arsenal shirt about 10 years ago. (laughs) This is a problem, isn't it? Under Arteta, who signs up for that project? The weird thing is, the way players speak, they do speak very highly of him. And this is what I mean. He... He is the best in the world at sounding like a competent manager. Do you remember his, his first press conference? Now, it, I don't think it was just Arsenal fans. People were a bit taken aback by how upfront he was. Like he said, that he wasn't going to be a guy that's kind of dictated to by the board. He was told, he said that there's a certain level of discipline that I'm going to need to instill here. I need to be ruthless, get these players out that aren't prepared to do what I say to play for Arsenal. Hey, he and convinced the select- me, for sure, because yeah, I, was, I was convinced by the appointment, but he yeah. turned it around pretty quick in my mind. And then after the FA Cup, because we weren't playing great football ever than that, but you think when you put silverware on the board, it's all right, if this is what comes at the end of it, I'll put up with it. I can't remember the last Arsenal game that I well and truly enjoyed. I, haven't, I don't think I've enjoyed one since Wenger left. I I enjoyed the one against uh, Spurs, our game of the season that year, where we won 4-2. But I didn't enjoy that until really the last two minutes. I haven't enjoyed a game properly since Wenger left. We complained then that once every five games, we were getting a rubbish one, whether it was against West Brom, whether it was against Wolves, whether it was getting battered by Chelsea or Liverpool. Now we get a good game every one in five and a good game we consider beating Newcastle 2-0. <laughs> I just, it it baffles me that the people in charge can't see it, but it's so close within there now that when I think Tesham, the director, if Edu goes, it looks bad on him because he's, he's the guy that was involved in appointing Edu. If Arteta goes, then it looks bad on Edu because Edu's the guy that supposedly put things in place for him to be the manager. So all these guys are just keeping themselves in a job and then the owner obviously doesn't care or this, this wouldn't be happening. It's not just 
the, the men's team that are struggling. The Arsenal women's team was great years ago, and I'm not saying that's uh, a key issue to me, but I'm just showing you as a club, the under-23s had to get a point at the weekend to not be relegated. All these things are happening, and it, 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 the club is rotting. And you've got this pig in charge at the top that's telling you, you've got to get on board, you've got to get on board with what I'm saying. There's a massive rebuild needed. I don't believe a word you're saying. I can't get my head around what is going on. And for pe- people on Twitter saying, these are the same people that wanted Wenger out. The answer isn't that Wenger should still be here. The answer is that someone who was going to progress should have been brought in. <laughs> the Emory one made sense. When I look at it from what they were trying to appoint, they were trying to appoint someone that had less power than Wenger. They were going down this role of a head coach. It made sense. It didn't work. The one that they've gone for Arteta, they've gone, right, it didn't work with Emery. We need someone that is has the communicable abilities because that was the key thing with Emery. But he could he could have been saying things of football that are the most genius things you've ever heard. The way he said them wasn't working. So they got in Arteta, who was the opposite. And then they just abandoned the whole thing they'd done two years by saying, well, you're the manager now. Also, it, I'll take a step back and you do what you want. The answer wasn't Wenger staying in because clearly that wasn't working. But So I don't know why rival fans say this. Like, these are the same people that want to Wenger out. They aren't mutually exclusive. But, I mean... I guess it was it, a careful what you wish for sort of thing, wasn't it? Yeah, for sure. Well, but You were yeah, heading in the wrong direction under him as well. It was not like it was... Yeah, it's like when, when things go bad um, when things weren't going well for Solskjaer they weren't saying these are the same fans that wanted Louis van Hal out <laughs> he won an FA Cup Chelsea are a bit of an anomaly because as we as we said last week they are one of the few people where I, I don't think you could find a Chelsea fan that's going to have bad words to say about their ownership and the direction they want to take the club. No. And you compare the fact that we were in the Europa League final, what was it, two years ago? Yeah. Three years ago? Two years ago. Two years. And how things have gone since then, then you can see one ownership that wants a football club to do well and one football club that is, is content on stagnating. And the issue now is that they're not even stagnating, they're, they're aggressing. So, I mean, Allardyce said that we were uh, relegation rivals this season. If we have a whole season of it next season, then we may well be again. I don't, I don't understand what they can do, because if they're going to stick with it, then you're just allowing it to sink further and it's a bigger job for the next person. We're still signing players who, when they join, they say, I grew up watching Thierry Henry at Arsenal. Strap in, sunshine. Thierry's not here anymore. You're under <laughs> Mikel Arteta. <laughs> and that's only going to last for so long. There aren't people that signed for Blackburn now saying, well, I grew up watching Shearer and big Tim Sherwood. <laughs> people aren't going to be going, I grew up watching Eddie and Ketia and Lacazette. Because no. you're right, yes. there's Hertzy Global Brand as well. 
Like, you have a couple of seasons like this, and your overseas fans just lose complete interest, and a lot of your revenue streams then cease. So then what do you do? You can't attract them through money. You can't attract them through where you are. You're at a turning point, and something needs to happen. Money is the interesting thing there, because the way Arsenal approach it this summer now, it's, it's all well and good when they say an overhaul. You're not going to see a summer where I think there's probably four or five players max in the squad, and that's being generous, that I would be upset if they left. Saka, Emil Smith-Rowe, Martinelli, Gabriel Tierney, they're probably a party as well, actually, because I, I do just love faith there. They're the guys where I would be upset if they left this summer. The rest of them, there's a price. And it's probably not as big as uh, Arsenal think it is. So you're not going to get rid of 20 players in a squad over the summer and you're not going to replace them. So when they pick the guys that leave this summer, the way they replace them is going to be interesting because when Baku didn't happen, and I think I came on the, the pod the following year and explained a lot of this, and I said, Arsenal are signing players that they think are Champions League players in the big that they're going to try and kind of shortcut their way back to it. You look at the way, say, Liverpool got back to the position they're in now. They didn't try and do it with one player. Van Dijk obviously had a big help, but that was at the point where they kind of had the team and they just needed the final points. They built this team slowly by being careful with the players they were buying. If Arsenal go out now and buy, say, a 30-year-old, no, maybe a 30-year-old, a 28-year-old who has better options out there but says, you know what, these other teams aren't meeting my the wages I'd like. If you want to give me them, then that's a shortcut again. And that's what I worry is going to happen. I worry they're going to see a name. They're going to see maybe they click the little tab on Football Manager and they say they're also wanted by Chelsea and Spurs. They give them an extra bit of cash and it's a shortcut. And when it doesn't work, you're back at square one again. They need to invest sensibly. And whether that's someone like... So an example would be, and I know he's about to sign a new contract, we're linked with Draxler every single summer <laughs> from PSG. He's actually signed a new deal today, so thank God we won't be doing it. The value is always stayed at 30 million as well. I don't know what he's done to have that there. But then you look at last night, and in the same position, you've got someone like Mateus Pereira at West Brom. Now, the Arsenal ownership, despite if you put kind of all the stats on the table of what we need, yeah, you're right. would still pick yeah. the Draxler over yeah. the Mateus Pereira and Liverpool didn't look at Sadio Mane and say, he's a Southampton player, he can't get to where we're going, and say, pick pick up Lucas Vasquez from Real Madrid, because it sounds like a bit of a better name, and maybe that's going to do the business. This is what we've got at Arsenal, and that's the way they do business, so I can't see much of a difference happening. And we, pro- we probably, w- we may even just pay more money for Draxler now because he's got a new deal on top of it. He would be hideous at Arsenal as well. Yeah, I don't. I just don't have any faith in these people that are in charge to restore things because it, I it, think they're out for themselves before the club. Yeah, it's it's a double whammy as well, isn't it? Because even if you do get the right guy, and I've got no faith in the setup currently to get the best out of them anyway. No, as you said, if you look at the signs you've got, who are clearly there's players in there, but aren't you know, look at Party and Odegaard. The longer they've been at the club 
the less you fancy them. And that, and that in, in, um, along with your performance against Villarreal, where, like you said, three shots on target isn't particularly good. We're pretty Over open two legs, well. that was. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, one being a penalty. And, you know, the and the two shots on target were in the first leg. So you had one shot on target yeah. in the game where you needed, only needed a goal. Even if, you, you know, it was a game where you needed to just part the bus and get a nil-nil. I wouldn't really back this team to do it, but I could understand his tactics yeah. if that was the case. But all he had to do was get a goal. And he he doesn't even seem to understand, show the understanding of how to set up a team up to attack. That's I, I can't work that out for love nor money, but he's obviously been working with Pep for long enough that even if, and we've debated this a lot, whatever his approach is, he yeah. does seem to be instinctively more cautious and conservative. But even if that is his philosophy, in this game where you do need to be more attacking, he doesn't seem to want to, and he doesn't seem to understand how to be able to. Because the team in that one, you had what starting, I think, was it Abamyang, Saka, Pepe, Smithrow, and Odegaard, am I right in saying? Yeah, yeah. In which case, how does that team not create more than it? There's plenty uh, of it makes no sense. And it must be down to the manager at that point. I can't, as much as I'm normally in favour of saying that the players are having a bit of a cop out here, and I think there is an extent of that at Arsenal. I think it's the so rigid. The does have to create something. He does have to change something up if it's not working as well. I think it's so think, rigid, uh, the way that he asks them to play, yeah, that it's, they're, it's, they're, they're suffocated it. by it. I mean, let's be fair. For the very same thing that Joseph did at Spurs, we were slating for. So it's, it's the same thing where you say, you've got a squad who's quite clearly got certain strengths and they don't involve defending. So play to those strengths. Don't be trying to sit back and be something they're not. You look at those goals yeah. we had. The one, sorry, just one second, the one we had in the Community Shield and the one we had in the FA Cup, the ones where they started at the back and they were beautiful goals. They're almost carbon copies. And so that's obviously how it's meant to play. But it doesn't work like that. You, you you don't create the perfect goal every week because once you've done it once or twice, teams cotton onto it. It's why Aubameyang yeah. at left wing worked for half a season. Then teams cotton onto it. They put two players out on that side. And all of a sudden it was like, right, what the hell do I do now? Yeah, you've got to figure out how to innovate. It doesn't seem to be able to at all. I... Um... I definitely agree with, you know, you, you've got to, I think you've got to judge the guy based on his ability to learn and change from his mistakes. You can't really judge him on the mistakes, the initial mistakes that he makes. It's just that repetitiveness and that lack of ability to learn. I understand that, you know, he's been, not, I don't want to use the word groomed by Guardiola, maybe sort of parallel, parallel with certain philosophies with how he wants to play. But Arteta, you know, I don't think you can have that stubbornness with how you're going to set up a squad to go and play with the system when you're in it with a, with a team like Arsenal currently have. Because Guardiola has the luxury of having a stable of some of the best players in the world that he can handpick and fit into the system without real consequence. Arteta, on the other hand, has to look at what he's got, as we've said, and try and find how it's going to work best to suit the, what he's got in the locker. I mean... And Bamiyang is going to always do better from in an account in a counter-attacking role or an or just a sheer offensive role. And his failure to just recognise how to get the best out of that on a continued basis is unforgivable. In you know in any not in sport not in sport you know in any in any in any in any walks of uh, in any walks of life you do the same things over and over again you're going to suffer. But you know it's. 
we can kind of perceive that as well from the outside. So from the inside, you certainly should be able to. But he's That's also, why as you he said, you've got enough people telling him. You've had enough results that surely, as AJ said, you should be able to kind of see. Okay, this isn't working. I've got to change something. Well, a striker like Abamyang, he's actually similar to Salah, and it's quite a common misconception where players like that are called clinical because they're not actually clinical. The, the, the thing with them is they create enough chances for themselves that they get that goal again. And in Arteta's system, really, a, a chance like that stands out because he made a big thing in his interviews the next day where he said, look, if the, if the header from Aubameyang goes in rather than goes into the post, we're having a completely different conversation this morning, which is true. But at the same time, when you play a team like Villarreal, you shouldn't be looking back on one single chance as being the reason for why the game has or hasn't gone your way. A guy like Salah has, on a, on, a, on a game where you say he's played well, he's having five or six chances that he makes for himself. And if things go well, he's scoring at least one of them. Aubameyang, is, he gets into that position and you have someone like Tierney puts enough crosses into the box that eventually he puts one in the corner. And that's how he's made a living as being a 20-goal-a-season striker. At the moment, when you're creating two chances a game, he, he isn't a guy where he has one chance and, and one goal. So it, it just completely goes against the fabric of what you've got in a team. And it surprises me. The, the players he's going for, if they're going to fit one rigid system, what happens? He's played four different systems in the past couple of weeks. It's like he doesn't know what he wants. And that, the, the team selection he played yesterday, and, I mean, almost fair play if that is the case, it felt like he was sticking two fingers up to everyone that said, for all the previous games, this is what you should have done. Because if, if you look, he was almost embarrassed at how well Saka was doing at left-back. After 45 minutes, he changed the system and got Saka into a more advanced position. He brought Tierney on at, at left-back, and he took off a Smith row. It was almost like, this looks really bad on me here, because Pepe on the right-hand side scored. Saka had created the most chances he has in any half this season, and, it, and received the ball in the box more chance than he has any time this season. It was a really bad look, and I don't expect him to go into the press conference after and say, yeah, I made a mistake. Um, really should have done that last Thursday. Sorry, boys. But it shows that he had that thinking in his head that this was a system that could this this was a system that could work. And I don't know if he thought that it would show otherwise yesterday. So I thought that was maybe why he put Martinelli centre forward, which which didn't look like looked yesterday like okay, fair enough, maybe you're right. He shouldn't be playing centre forward in this system. But the rest of I, them it, reflected really poorly on him. It surprises me. It surprises me that you've got apparently players talking talking him up in terms of saying he's you know he's technically brilliant and there isn't a little bit more dissent or certainly goes, now that'll all be coming yeah. out. because well, yeah, like when you've got a manager who's committed to playing a certain way that isn't working, that must that must build some dissent in the change room, particularly with you know there are going to be some strong there are going to be some strong um, like characters in that change room. They want to play more fluid, more, you know, attacking football. And you've got, you know, the likes of the, you know, the young up, up and coming talent in that change room as well. You know, it doesn't it doesn't give them a lot to get excited or excited about or a lot of 
you know, a lot to look forward to when you're in a system that isn't doesn't look like it's going anywhere and you're being, you know, you've seen what's happened to the other players in the squad that haven't really haven't really cut the mustard, whereas, you know, it's working that system's come from it. You know, I'm I'm surprised to hear that feedback about well, it. You know, for one, because it's you've what, got to think they've seen previously, and so it's obviously worked, what's happened when players have gone against him. That's the first portal call there. The other one, the main thing they point to is they say about his attention to detail, which I don't doubt. He does look like he's a very meticulous thinker. He probably does have a great eye for the game. And he probably can have all of these things. I bet he would present the best PowerPoint presentation you have ever seen about football. But it's almost like he's given too much information. You look at, say, someone like Aubameyang. He's just had his issues with him from the North London derby. He was out the squad for a couple of games after that. He's probably thinking... This isn't the way I want to play, but I've also learnt my lesson here. If he's going to be here for the foreseeable, which I guess they've seen, then I know what I've got to do. Someone like Emil Smith-Rowe, he's, he, he's just made his Arsenal uh, debut. This is the most football he's ever played. I'm sure for all of the bad things he says, he probably has. he's probably very grateful that he's playing football. You look at, say, uh, Gabriel, um, someone who maybe would have some negative things to say, doesn't speak very good English. Um, uh, I don't think he's going to come out and kind of rock the boat. That's just the, the way the personalities are in this team. The players that come out and speak about him are Tierney, Erdegaard. They're the main two that have been interviewed about him. And the main thing they just say is, he's shown me things in my game that I would never have seen before. He shows me things that I just can't believe that kind of people see this when it comes to football. And so... From that perspective, I'm sure they do probably see it that way. And, you know, they may blame themselves or they may just feel that there isn't enough to go well, against th- him and rock the boat. Well, maybe th- maybe your answer's there because, you know, I don't think that there's justification for going into any level of extreme detail in the role that he's currently in at Arsenal when really, really, it's just the basic fundamentals that need to be changed. I think the justification for going into more, the justification for more detail comes comes later down the line when you've got a refined system and you're fine tweaking is yet to get the basics right well, on a consistent basis. Yeah, I know, but that's the point. He, he didn't take, if he's been trying to do detail from the start, then it's building on the wrong foundation. And mm. maybe that's his role as being an assistant coming through in the respect that, Guardiola's, you know, the bigger picture guy looking at the, the the wider picture. He doesn't have the luxury of going into that refined detail. He delegates that to his assistants. Arteta, on the other hand, has come from a position of where he's looking into more refined details. He gets more one-on-one time players. He doesn't have to think about the entire squad. He can dedicate that more time to be in more detail. So maybe he's just struggling to transition from that role. And, you know, don't get me wrong, that, that refined detail is going to come out and work some of the time. But in the grander well, scheme you- of things when you're not getting the basics right on a consistent basis, you know, it, it, it's, I, I, th- I just think that shines through. Well, one of the, one of the things I think as to why he got the reputation he did is you look at uh, Sane and Sterling. Now they did several interviews and they couldn't have spoken higher about it. Um, Sane says the way, the way when you look at the way his level up to Sterling, when he says about the reason why he started getting so many more goals, is he says the work that Arteta did with him is that's kind of one of the key reasons you see what you see today. There was a thing when, uh, I think it was when Man City played Spurs, actually, and 
there was a goal that Bernardo Silva scored you know, 42 years ago. And there's, there's a clip that has done the rounds where the goal goes in and they all run to Arteta to celebrate because apparently yeah. he kind of said this big thing where if you overlap this, you do that, whatever it is, this is how it's going to work. So I don't doubt that the information even perhaps might be right, but we've all tried cramming before an exam before and we've all seen that sometimes it, it, it does the opposite effect where, as we've said, it, it stresses you out and there's too much information for you to take in at once. So I agree with what you say there, Alex, where it may be too much. But at the same time, from his point of view, which is where the experience comes in, if something's not working, you probably do think, if I educate them more on what he sees in his head, which is the issue, they're just not doing what I'm seeing properly. And this is why you shouldn't give someone so much power so early, because I, I don't doubt it, it's gone to his head. And I mean, why wouldn't it when you've got everyone telling you you're the best thing in the world? It's, it's very hard for you to not think otherwise as well. Do, do, Tika, do you see any way that he is the man to dig Arsenal out of it, even if, so, even if he gets what he calls the right investment in the summer? Or do you think we're just counting down till, say, November time, Arsenal are out there, FA Cup maybe 11th in the league and the board say, all right, enough's enough? Yeah, I, I think you're delaying the inevitable, to be honest. Um, and I've, for the longest time, thought I think he is a good enough manager to work it out. And I'm now thinking, I'm not sure if he's good enough, or to even if there is a manager in there, I think he's got to go somewhere else and sort of yeah, do the hard yards first. If, if you and and come back, really. I also once these things start slipping, it doesn't tend to be that you can retrieve it. It's even got good managers. For, you talk about the selection and question himself. Most managers end up doing this. Brendan did it towards the end of Liverpool, where he didn't have a clue what team he was going to play, and he was just kind of making it up because he was running out of answers. Yeah. And I think Arteta is in a, in a similar spot. And look, Brendan obviously rebuilt, so Arteta maybe could do the same. But he's he showing needs to get out one out Celtic job still there. Yeah, yeah. Why not? He's, he's just showing a basic lack of instincts, which I can't quite work out. I, him should take it off your top goal scorer when you're chasing a lead yeah. is a pretty basic thing at any level of management. Do you think with that as well? If it's on like 65 minutes, you kind of say, okay, they agreed beforehand that he's not fit. I, I mean, it's not me playing there, but I don't see much difference between playing 82 minutes and playing 90 minutes. No, no, you, you may as well leave him on at, at that stage. In in but, most games this year, I wouldn't have necessarily blamed taking a Bamiyang. No. He hasn't been great, and I can see how tactically you might want to tweak it. But in this one, you might have one chance and he might be yeah. the guy who puts it in for you. He That's just hit chance. the post before he came off. So yeah, he says exactly. He says he's spoken to the board. They know what they're going to do this summer. It hasn't changed as to whether uh, the European football was there or not. And he's going to be backed. What do you think is the level of backing he's going to get? And without giving me 500 million, <laughs> how much do you think investment wise needs to go in this summer to make uh, a reasonable difference uh, to make a reasonable difference I'd say you're going to be pushing 100 mil I mean I think that's probably around the amount we'll spend you reckon 
Yeah. But we're going to sell about six players, so they'll probably spend yeah. about forty million. Hmm. Yeah, I was I was thinking around the fifty mark in terms of what you end up spending. So that's how it's up. It's the problem is you the the players you named at the top there that you'd keep. I'm pretty much the same. And I think when we did our thing of who would you yeah. keep at Arsenal, who's not, I think I, was, I only had four names. Obviously, you could add Smith Rowe to it now. That's the only thing. There's no one else you'd say is indispensable. And that speaks volumes about your squad. In terms of you said the direction of our tenor as well, I, I do think if this is the way he's going to play, I think even if he was somehow successful, I think he'd be on hiding snuffing eventually. And you're so dull to watch. Even oh, when no. you do get a win, you're hideous to watch. And I, rightly or wrongly, I think via Wenger's time at the club, you've now got a fan base that's used to being entertaining. Even if you're good or sometimes not as good, you're always at least entertaining. You could kind of fall back on that. Arteta, even at your best, you're not good to watch. And I do think that's a it's a marriage that won't work out. If if we said Mourinho was all wrong for the culture of the club at Spurs, in an odd way, Wenger came in and changed the culture of Arsenal, where it's one 0 to the Arsenal two with the great entertainers. Arteta just doesn't just doesn't fit in with that anymore. No. I speak to the guy at my work and he's kind of somewhere in between where he's kind of like he knows his stuff but he's a football casual and that he's not gonna watch every game. Like he's not I say to him, Do you watch Wolves Fulham last night? And he's like, No. And I say to him, Watch watch Arsenal last night? And he's like, I've got better things to be doing than than that. I'd rather watch a rerun or something he's like, it doesn't entertain me. The time they'll watch 20 minutes and be like, I don't need to be seeing 90 minutes of this. Like you and said, the Arsenal Newcastle game, saying, no one needed to be seeing <laughs> No. I think in the summer, um, for a start, they need to be looking for the players that just kind of make sense. So someone like Pereira, as I've said, and I'm sure there's going to be options there. And I think this is one of the last summers where we're going to be able to say, so say we're in with Villa, we can say, look, we're the Arsenal. This is the club you want to play at, a great stadium. You want to, you kind of preach the you could be one of these guys that helps get us back to here, which is what a lot of players have said when they come in. And the other thing you're essentially selling is if we're in for any of the same players as, say, you or, say, United, is a, a lack of competition for places where if we go in for a midfielder, they're seeing Thiago and they're, and they're seeing Fabinho and they're seeing the likes of that and you're pitching it. And we've essentially got to say, Look, come in. You're gonna get minutes here, and if you're good enough, then further down the line, maybe you'll get to that place. So I see the way in which they have to sell it, and I guess we've got to hope that Arteta's as charming down the phone as a lot of players have said that he is. Maybe they haven't seen as much of the football, and we go that way about it because you're looking at a Chelsea level of spend really to get into the top end of the European places next season. And by that, I mean not scraping a, European, a Europa League place like to be like your, your, your fifth place you're looking yeah, at. Yeah, if you want back in the Champions League, it's, it's, a, it's a big... Yeah, I think we're a, a bit away from that. But even just to get into Europa, like not scrapping for it at the end of the season, mm. I think you're looking at upwards of 200 million. And I've just been tricked too many times now to, to be told about being ruthless. I, I'll believe it when I see it. So there we go. I'm somehow more depressed than I was when I came in. <laughs> I don't know if the therapy has worked here. No, it hasn't. It's just kind of made me I was looking for someone to give me a uh, 
bit of a pick me up. It's not as bad as you think, but obviously it is. No, no it's it, definitely it, as bad as you think. Yeah, it might even be worse than you think. What last thing I would say is um, I don't know. If, I think the Pepe criticism needs to stop to the extent it is now. I think we can clearly see he's a decent enough player. Maybe he's being as uh, infringed by Arteta's tactics as anyone because he can score a Franco every time he scores. And I saw someone say yesterday that he's the type of player you need to bully in these little teams. And he said, that's not, that's not a insult. Like You need to beat your Fulhams and your West Broms to get into these top European places. And he's the perfect type of player to be doing that. So hopefully he can kick on next season. You're basically at the same position as Crystal Palace with Wolf Zaha. Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> Not go too far. <laughs> Let's get on to... Um, so Chelsea reached their first Champions League final since 2012. Goals from Timo Werner and Mason Mounts have scored a 2-0 victory over Real Madrid. Um, Madrid had Sergio Ramos back in there. I think we spoke a bit about this... Um, Last week, we won't go over the fact that we went 0-2 for the week, Alex. Um, we'll gloss over that. Um, I was 2 out of 3, unfortunately for you. Yeah. Um, Werner should have given Chelsea the lead in about 18 minutes in the game. Tapped home from across, was offside. He rivals Theo Walcott for being as offside as many times as I've seen a player. He's the new team. Um, it's mental, so... But you were ahead on 28 minutes. Havertz uh, tried dinking the keeper, starting to look like the player. Me and TK uh, did say he was uh, played in by Kante. Werner didn't manage to miss from on the line. And I guess from there, Jack, you had, I think, Benzema forced a decent enough save from Mendy with a header. But as far as Champions League semi-finals go, I don't think you can really ask for a more comfortable ride no, and you had over two legs. It, yeah, it was weird because, I mean, when your team's in a Champions League second leg, knowing that an away goal can ruin it all, as it has done in the past, um, you, you're never truly confident until you get that daylight in the score lines. And I wasn't, but I never really felt under threat, which is crazy when you consider they've had they had. Cruz, Modric, Casemiro, Benzema, Hazard. I've been telling uh, you Cruz is a fraud. Finishes junior. Except no was <laughs> Couldn't do it in Qatar. But, yeah, I mean, you, you look at that start 11 for Real Madrid, I just couldn't believe how easy we had it. Um, I think our system just completely overwhelmed them. I think we won that midfield battle. And if you win that midfield battle against Real Madrid, you win the game because... You haven't necessarily got the forwards in Real Madrid's teams that are going to do the pressing work that, say, other teams will in Hazard and Benzema. And That's then, Cruz and Modric are looking at Kante thinking, what is that? As he's yeah. steaming all over the pitch, <laughs> I think, oh my God, I'm not chasing that. We had Mount Havertz and Kante almost decent chances, didn't they? Yeah, big guild edged ones. Because Jack was texting me saying he was worried, and I was saying, I don't know what you're worried about. We must be watching different games here. The, the problem is, is that if you don't take your chances, you usually get punished. And yeah, that's fair, yeah. Especially a team like Madrid as well. They're yeah. Even <laughs> when they're not in it, they somehow do it, don't 
it's one of those where if you're kind of bikes to the wall rearguard action and you're soaking up the pressure for 80 minutes and then they finally get a goal, you think, well, we had a good run, it was coming. But when you're on top and you've missed four or five guild edge chances, the, the loss almost feels worse than... I don't know what that feels like. <laughs> <laughs> Are you uh, any part of your flashback to Barca, Jack? Yeah, a little bit. They, they were attacking that end as well. I was just there <laughs> like, no, no, no. I no. saw it on Twitter during the game and I thought, I wonder if Jack's in that. Of course. I yeah. don't think Jack's ever far away from Barca. <laughs> the six degrees rule applies to Jack in that game. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Jack's Honestly. last words on his deathbed. Like, what What'd you say? He's like, you know that referee, you received death threats after the game. <laughs> uh, Fucking disgrace as he just off. My whole family will be gathered around me as they just hear me scream, Thomas on Riebo. <laughs> get me get me a pen. Get me a pen, I need to write this. Get me a pen and a singular bullet. They open Jack's will and it's just a letter that he thought he'd be prosecuted for whilst alive. So he just needs posted to the estate of the referee. <laughs> And if he's, if he's not here anymore, then his children again. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's back to the game. I thought we were absolutely outstanding. And to look back on it, I've watched it back a few times now. And <laughs> what the whole game? Uh, the hour-long highlights I've watched twice. <laughs> in fairness, that, is, in fairness. that was not a game to be watched in highlights for me. I watched the uh, I watched the Arsenal um, Chelsea FA Cup final back like the day after. So we're talking levels here, FA Cup final, Champions League semi-final. I, I think that I did it because, you know, you can never really fully appreciate it in the moment. You're there just willing your team just see the minutes out. And I went back and I watched it and the goal that actually we opened the scoring with, it was finished off a 19-pass move where it started from the back, pretty much every player had touched the ball. And under Tuchel, we've now got this thing nailed down where if it's not working short, we will go long and stretch the game. And mm. teams don't really know how to deal with it because before it was short at all costs, we will not play this long. But we draw the midfield onto our defenders who are ridiculously good in possession, contrary to what happened in the Frank. And they draw the whole team onto them. And then all of a sudden you can play off Havertz and Werner's in. And he stretches the game so well that it's really good weapon to have and what? We, we saw it a few in the we saw two pretty much identical chances one that Havertz missed um, where the ball was played clean through the middle and Havertz and Werner were both getting each other's wage completely free bearing it on goal and one where Werner was offside against Man City where he actually scored from it but it was miles offside but if he'd been onside there was space there to do it where we look like we're going absolutely nowhere in midfield and all of a sudden there's just a ball that splits the defence in half from Jorginho, which it has been a revelation under Tuchel. This is this is definitely his system to be playing in, especially when he's got Kante doing the work of like four midfielders mopping up for him. Don't forget Jorginho was in that Chelsea side that I uh, sent you before Tuchel took over. I couldn't really I see it I know this is the system. I didn't know what system two was been playing. This is the one. He gets a lot of cover, and he gets allowed to do what he's great at, which is pass the ball around and keep the play moving. I was actually watching the Arsenal Villarreal game, and I don't really want to go back to it too much because we have covered it to quite an extent. But we don't need to a, go back over that. <laughs> there's such a stark difference between 
how we look in possession compared to, say, other teams, not just Arsenal, but other teams as well. And I'm not really one for praising Chelsea because I know it all comes back on me, but it's hard not to in this moment in time that the way that we're playing, we can, we've played a Champions League run has taken us against the would-be La Liga current leaders and one's challenging in Real Madrid, we've won it 13 times. And we only, we, we never even looked like losing. We never even looked like conceding, really, apart from that one Benzema cross um, that he scored yeah. from the first leg. So, so that's quite an achievement from where we were at the start of the season. I wrote down two questions for you here. Now. I don't know how much you were listening to uh, after the final whistle had gone or if uh, you were running around with your shirt around your head or something. Yeah, both. But Glenn Hoddle said, straight that, after that, the game, that, he said... Now, let's not forget, a lot of credit here needs to go to young Frank Lampard, (laughs) who started this Chelsea team on the path to where they got to today. One, I don't know if you heard him say that. And two, how were you cringing or were you nodding along, clapping hard or saying cheers, son? I think it's it's a bit of middle ground, like... Oh, but you, you you can't praise him for this because this is Tuchel's achievement completely. But this isn't the same side we had in Frank. As much as I love him, it just isn't. We didn't win the FA Cup, and I said, oh, "We got to think back who and I am, really, the work he put in to get us here." <laughs> I think the way that he's thinking of it is that last season, obviously, transfer ban. I know you debate it. Fair enough. I'm just saying that he got. Um, kind of inexperienced team Champions League and he's the reason why we qualified like, that part I get and that's where it stops because I don't think that's got... what Glenn was saying no he was going out to battle for his mate wasn't he no it was exactly what it was and I can understand where Glenn's coming from in the sense that he got us to the group stages but our group you expect us to get through that group um, I think you said at the time that you just like credit in AVB with, when you won the yeah. Champions League yeah so, exactly yeah, no one was it. making that argument no exactly and that's exactly the what I said, where I'm no end, I'm not going to give any credit to him at all for that. <laughs> the only thing I would say is the only difference is that you can't One even say for your club. You, you can't even say that Frank brought in his players because that's not the model that we run at Chelsea. It's a di- director of football that buys the players, and we have a head. She is a savage. Okay. <laughs> Maria Gronkowski, yeah, or something like that. She knows how to run a football club. If she popped up in like a John Wick film as a villain, you you wouldn't say that's not realistic. <laughs> no, not not at all. And she's probably the one that'd be able to get John Wick finally. That's the, that's the, <laughs> end of the film. But yeah, she knows how to run a football club, and she's not scared to make good decisions. And I think, look, I said when Frank was sacked on this pod the night he was sacked that usually you have a double whammies with Jose that you have a kind of figurehead that everyone loves and you don't really understand who's going to make you play better football than what Jose could first spell around. Whereas this was a little bit easier in the <laughs> sense that you're going to love, you love the guy who's been sacked, but you probably expect the football will improve and that's exactly what happened. And I don't think any of us thought it would be this much of an improvement, even the biggest not. kind of Tuchel fan. No, in, again, you're right. And I remember after the first games with Wolves, um, where you got yeah. absolutely slated. That was, the, <laughs> that was like, a tough watch, that game. It, it was, but I was sat there thinking that 
we never looked like losing. We just didn't score. That, that, and I actually tweeted because I went back and looked through to see if I'd tweeted about Tuchel at all. And I said that I don't know why everyone's moaning. We actually look pretty solid. And as soon as we get it clicking up front, that's a decent foundation to work from. And I think we exactly... said even Frank beat these. <laughs> no, we, I think we said Frank lost to these. No, <laughs> so he was an improvement. <laughs> yeah, he did. Um, I, I look at how many games that we've lost under Tuckle in this Premier League, which is one. And I think that if we have. Wow. Alex, man. What was wrong with you? Oh. That was Alex, by the way. If you I know wanted. it was. I know. What a disgrace! He's got his own. He's got his own. Alex, it literally comes up on the screen. You joke, saying Alex Jones. I'm not even. I'm not even. I'm not even kidding. I did not. I would just own up to it. But Alex, it literally comes up on screen. Alex, I know. I know. I saw it. I saw it. I know it did. It came up on my screen. Said Alex Kipchak, and I was just disrupted a good podcast there. Anyway. We're talking about the greatness that is Chelsea Football Club currently. I still have another question about Chelsea to ask you as well, Jack. Um, yeah, go ahead, shoot. So I'm this was about two minutes away from muting him. This was one <laughs> I, uh, I this was one I had in the tuck. So Chelsea played on Super Sunday a couple of weeks back. I'm not entirely sure which game it was, but whoever was on co-commentary, who was on lead commentary that day, referred to Kai Havertz as a false nine, and Alan Smith was the yeah, guy on this. at the time and he said he's six foot two he's a strong lad he's a striker he's not a false nine and he does seem to be playing a bit more like that like he's he's not dropping back deep into positions is he he is staying up there more along the lines of being a centre forward yeah it, it, and I think he's got the height because when you think of false nines you think of kind of small Gertz is who I think of instantly yeah exactly that and that with Kai Havertz, they had a chance where he hit the bar in the Real Madrid game from a header. And that was like inches away from being a textbook centre-forward header that you'd expect from like Giroud. That chip so, was so slick as well. Yeah, it was. And you, you think that from a player, when he played in the Wolves game that we ended up losing, Frank Wright said that he doesn't even look like he's played football before. So nutmegging Tony Cruz in midfield and just going past him as if he wasn't there and running the show against Real Madrid. I think, obviously, he's coming good just at the right time. And I think that stands for a lot of the players. You've got a front four, really, that you can choose a three from that are pretty much banging form. Although Werner is missing some pretty glaring chances, he's integral to the way that Tuchel wants to play. He said that at the weekend, didn't he? He, yeah. he was asked about the offsides and he said, look, he, he thought he put his foot in it first, didn't he? Because he said um, he worked like a dog. And he's like, can I say that? Like, yeah, yeah, you can say that. Yeah. Um, he said, no, he worked like a dog. I've got no complaints about anything he did today. He said, no. even the running he did, he <laughs> saw that's what helped us get the chances at the end of the game. Yeah, because you're constantly worried if you're a defender. Like, you can play a high line against him because he only has to be onside once. Yeah. And then it's whether he scores or not. If he thinks he's offside, then he will score. So I think it's best for both. <laughs> what I said about Aubameyang earlier, he's a guy who, regardless of if he's missing the chances, and I don't think it's going to be this bad forever. Some of the chances he's missed no, are not. horrific. Um, he, it's not like he's getting one chance a game and he's and he's missing it. Like 
he's getting four, five, six chances a game that he's either creating or making for himself. And you can't go far wrong when that happens. No, it's the players that don't get in those positions that you worry about, the ones that aren't affecting the game. It's one of those where it will end up clicking. And I, I said it and I was laughed at last week for saying it, but when he came to Chelsea, he was finishing really well. So he's got it in him to do it. I still don't remember this. I, I, think, I think if you remember against Southampton, where he did this dummy, ran past about six players, and then buried it right in the bottom corner. Keeping it I think moved. you've seen these games too many times for some of these things that you uh, no, reference. Because I, I, I remember I, you, you spoke about Ziyech before and you said, if you remember that pre-season game against Brighton? Oh, no, come on, Jack, was, come on. That, that was the game he got injured. No, it was the game against Burnley. That's what I was on about. I still remember it. But the, the point is, is that I think, I know we've played City, what, beat City twice in the last three weeks. I don't think yeah. any performance is really indicative of what's going to happen in the final. I think both teams were changed. I think a lot is being made of how changed City's teams were, but they could still line up with a front three of Torres, Aguero, Sterling, midfielder of Rodri, who's been playing all season, and then Cancelo, Diaz, Laporte, Edison, and then Benjamin Mendy, who is usually their fit starting left back. He's just been injured. I think they go like, oh, yeah, it was, they changed nine players. Like, yeah, but they would all get into most people's first teams, these nine players. Not, and they're, I know they're, not, they're not bums. You won't want to jinx it, but like for most people, I would imagine that if, if if most of us had to put money down on a one-off game, I think most of us would be putting our money on Chelsea to beat City. I really hope you don't say that because of what your predictions were last week. I don't really so, want to, I don't to be to. fair, my reasoning was Chelsea are a better team, but Real Madrid, they kind of have it in their DNA. I, this was like me saying like they've got a puncher's chance or... Yeah, no, and I said pretty much the same thing that the green team and they've got the experience of winning these big games. Um, well, it's more just because Tuchel looks more like he preps for the opponent more than Pep, and it's a pretty good way of going about it for the most part when he's not sabotaged himself, has gone this way of working. We don't change our way of playing for anyone. This is how we're going to go about it. What I find funny is that. Pep played four at the back in this FA Cup semi-final and lost. And he matched our system, played five at the back um, at the game this weekend. So he's tried both systems and he's come undone in both both those times. And um, it, he's now kind of made a role for his own back in the, in the sense that I've tried both and they both haven't worked. What do I do next? Which way do I go? Whereas if he'd gone with one and it had worked, you'd have thought, right, this is it. We're going to go this for the final. I think um, he was spooked that game at the weekend going into it. I think he didn't want to give away too much. And at the same time, he obviously also didn't want to kind of hand you the initiative and he kind of did a bit of both. Yeah, I think that's pretty much what it was. I wanted Tuckle to just go out and play the development squad and just give nothing away, play like four at the back. Which I hope he does that Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, Andrew in at the top. But um, we saw Real Madrid did exactly the same thing. They tried to match by playing five at the back. And fact of the matter is, no one plays five at the back like us, like we do. It's not even five, it's three at the back and then four in midfield, three at the top. And it's just so well drilled that apart from when we play West Brom, we haven't even looked like losing a game yet. So 
it's all geared up for us to lose the Champions League final. <laughs> well, a Chelsea yeah. fan saying to me yesterday, it's only West Brom. I'd say, of all the people that can say this to me, I'm not sure you're the one that, that the, can say this with, uh, with West Brom. I, I kid you not, right? If you go back and watch that Chelsea-West Brom game, they played. The goals <laughs> that they scored were unbelievable, each and every single one of them. They were spraying balls around like I've never seen them play before. <laughs> and I've watched them every week since, and they've been fucking shit. They've been terrible. Yeah. Well, I, mean, um, I just don't understand it. This this weekend then, so it ties in quite nicely um, with the with the two here. So Chelsea do have Leicester in the FA Cup final. Um, big game. I think BT have gone the wrong way about it. Like they're determined by telling us like we're giving this the big game feel. Kind of feels like it's not a big game. Yeah. Um, well, they they're giving it a two-hour build-up. I mean, you've just said that you you've gone and rewatched. Most of us would say is it is a was a dull game. Are you going to tune in for two hours of build-up for the weekend? Um, I don't, I don't watch build-up for big Arsenal games. I tune in like ten minutes before if it's a big game. Yeah, I'm I'm usually the kind of same. I like it because of the tradition of the FA Cup. I've always loved the FA Cup, so. Might tune in a little bit earlier than my yeah, yeah. fifteen minutes before, but I'm not watching two hours of it now because depending on the panel as well, it's all BT won't be the one you want to tune in for. Yeah, it's it's just yeah, it's like regurgitated stuff where I've watched Rio Ferdinand praise Chelsea so much that it's almost become a point where you're like, I don't really care anymore. We'll see you trying here. Yeah, not not so much that that we haven't had any bad games either even the one that we lost against Porto was kind of well we're 2 up anyway so yeah. we just managed the game so it's all the same stuff I don't need to hear it the way BBC um, are as well they essentially on commentary put the guys that BT just didn't fancy so you're probably going to get Macker on BT and Genus on BBC yeah <laughs> yes, what we do have, with Leicester then so once again I think <laughs> one of us I'm sure must have said it uh, uh a couple of weeks back, like, yeah, I think at this season they've kind of got it. They're not going to bottle it again. Um, Newcastle moved within one point of being mathematically safe with a win over Leicester then on Friday night. Uh, big Joey Willock put the visitors ahead um, after, I think, less than, less than 10 minutes on the board. So only Sheffield United and Fulham have lost more home Premier League matches than Leicester in the Premier League this season. Um in the history of top flight, a team which has finished in the table having lost eight or more home games in a season, the highest they've ever finished was seventh, and that was Blackpool in 57-58. Leicester have lost eight games at home. Are we thinking that they're going to throw this away again? Because the way they, they... Newcastle essentially felt the job was done and stopped defending in the last 10 minutes on a Friday night. A 4-2 scoreline was flattering because Newcastle honestly could have had six or seven. Yeah. I think the loss of Johnny Evans, as comical as it sounds, is massive for them because he is that experienced head. And if you look at the first two goals, they were just complete defensive mix-ups. And yeah. it was just crazy, crazy football. And like if there was a How save... much is your backup, though? It's not bad. That's better than most teams yeah. are having in the league. No, you're yeah, right. Sure. But... There was a there was a chance right at the beginning. I can't remember if it was for Wilson or Willock, but 
It's the one Willock scored. He, he robbed it off Soyuncu. No, no, there was a chance before that when basically... Was yeah, three, that was... Uh, it was out. Wilson. Yeah, he was three yards out and uh, Schmuckel did the, his dad's patented starfish save. That was St. Maximin. It was yeah. St. Maximin. He hit it right at keeper. That was it. And I was there like, fuck's sake, we need Leicester to lose this game. That was the one chance. They're going to come out. That's going to be the wake-up call and they're going to roll them now. And then that the complete opposite happened. <laughs> I checked my phone. Don't, don't big Joey Willow coming. Since he's joined Newcastle on loan, he's scored five Premier League goals. Um, and in that time, no player from Arsenal has scored more goals. He's scored against Liverpool. He's scored against Leicester. He's scored against Spurs. I've been championing. I've been championing his cause, and actually, the system he played in, which Sabios kind of drifted out to the left mid, both um, Maitland Niles and Joe Willock are actually perfect in that role, which kind of looks go into again with the, the lack of prep, but. Joe Willett looks like a serious guy, so Arsenal do have a decision to make this summer because Newcastle won him previously. I'm not sure the kind of money Arsenal would be asking for, but you'd imagine between 20, 25 million, I'd imagine they'll ask for. And they'll have a decision to make then as to whether that's the way they go about it. Um, I did just think when you said about Lampard earlier, by the way, if... Lampard let us win that game in January. Arteta might be out of a job now, so is <laughs> Lampard the real disgusting man? I don't know. Um, Leicester have got United midweek before the FA Cup final. If you are Brendan Rodgers, and it's easy to say neither here, which game should you be prioritising of the two? I think the FA Cup, I think for a team that, I, I think they, they're out of the top four. I reckon now they could, they've got a job on their hands to not lose their last three years. I, I agree. Um, I think they got that, Spurs last, last day of the season, haven't they? Exactly. Or is it, or is it United last game? No, oh, you've got United, United this Tuesday, you just said. Yeah, United tomorrow. Yeah, sorry, then, yeah. My, you've my got bad. us in the FA Cup at the weekend and us again on Wednesday next week. And then they've got Spurs last game of the season. And that's a 12-point loss, if you consider, if, if they lose all three and obviously lost a Newcastle game, you can see Liverpool gaining at least a few more points. I think they could be within real danger of not even qualifying for the Europa League. It, it's not... I need to do the maths on it, but it's not inconceivable that they can draw. No, it kind of depends on what which yeah. Spurs team turn up. I mean, we've had we had uh, Ollie refusing to park in the in the manager's space at Old Trafford. Um, Ryan Mason's thing of telling the players, "Don't call me manager or gaffer," is right up there. I don't know if you've <laughs> seen this interview he did. It's so bad. He's like, I don't want the boys to look at me any differently, so I've told him, "Don't call me gaffer." I, I won't take it very well. Don't don't call me that. Um, but I suppose it, at least he is parking in the right space. Um, <laughs> I did I did find it funny that when they beat Sheffield United and they scored some brilliant goals when they did, everyone's like Spurs are back. Ryan Mason, he's he's done a he's done a one. Yeah, Sheffield there. made us look like a million dollars as well. Yeah, and then um, walk swiftly back down to earth with three one loss at Leeds. 
Lacazette look like a footballer. <laughs> um, I do love that Mason thing, by the way. It's sort of like a, it's like an attempt to show some humility, isn't it? <laughs> you don't really have to, mate. It's fine. None of us are, none of us are going to get too carried away with you. No worries. <laughs> How much of a shot to give Leicester on uh, Saturday, TK? Uh, not much. Not much. They're in a, they're in a dire run, confidence-wise. They they look like they think the writing's on the wall, which is more important than if we think it is. Yeah. Uh, and if you said about prioritisation of the fixtures, with United potentially resting people on Tuesday, I'd be going all in to win that, not just for the league purpose, but I think they need some sort of confidence boost before the game against Chelsea. I think if they go yeah. into the FA Cup final, having lost to United as well, they're playing a team that's full of confidence and they're not a rock bottom, that's something that's dramatic, but they're looking at a season where they thought they could have a trophy in top four. And then now, as Jack just said, could be having no European football and no trophy. Well, rather than prioritise then, so say Brendan Rodgers gets a call um, on Wednesday morning. Tuesday or Wednesday they play? Wednesday. Tuesday. Tuesday, OK. So say tomorrow morning, uh, the, the physio says to Brendan Rodgers, like, look, I think Johnny, he, he's not in bad shape. I think if this is a game you, you want to risk him for, I don't think you'll make it worse, but he's certainly not fully fit. Is it big enough that you risk him for it and potentially make it worse and then he's out of the game on Sunday? Saturday? No, only because I think their replacements are decent enough. A, a partnership of Soyuncu and Fafana, I think yeah. is pretty much as good as almost anything we've got in the league. Yeah, yeah, not far off. We've got that bum Pablo Mari there. And you've yeah, got... Yeah. Either it is a walk into your team for sure. Certainly walk into ours this year. The tune on Matt Phillips has changed quite consider- quite considerably whenever you win. <laughs> I look at Twitter, he seems to be like a cult hero. Um, I think that could be one of those John Flanagan ones where in a few years you've been back at four. Tough, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully so, not exactly I, like John Flanagan. I had I had two um two of these down just to ask uh, what you think. So if we start with Joe Willock, um, Arsenal get a bid of twenty million um, on the last day of the season. Do you think they ex- they should accept that, or do you think they should give him a place in the squad next season? Bear in mind, we know European football is going to be less options for rotation. I think you stick with him. I like him. I'm a fan. But I- are you going to play him? That's the problem. Mm. He does have that. Great. His knack of scoring, I know it's cliche, you, you can't really teach that in a midfielder as much as you want to. He does kind of but, have that instinct. I said about him before that he was, he, when he came on in that, in Baku, which obviously I know you don't want to go back to too much, he was so like positive and confident. Yeah. It's almost like the more Arsenal used him, the more they kind of, affected that but also seemed to play him more a little bit deeper and I don't think that's getting yeah. the best out of him giving him that freedom is obviously what he needs and if he has to go with respect lower to a club like Newcastle from his point of view I'd probably push for the move I think it his, suits him being uh, a main man somewhere his goal in that mental game that we had with you in the Carabao was unreal that one where yeah. he barely yeah. got out of his feet and he smashed it there's not very many players that, that can do that um yeah, Steve, Steve Bruce has made kind of no uh, 
shame in saying what he thinks. He said that if he can keep Joe Willock next season, um, he's the he's the type of player that he'd love to build his squad around. He said, "Nice." So, and then the other one I had, yeah. Um, Ornstein did his uh, kind of roundup as he does uh, every Monday in the Athletic, and he said that Chelsea will accept no less than £40 million for Tammy Abraham this summer. Um, he did say that the Premier League clubs that are interested, um, that's West Ham predominantly, Newcastle being one of the others and Villa being one of the others, are quite confident that no one's going to play that and so are willing to play a waiting game. If you were putting the figure on Chelsea and say, kind of, this is what he's worth, this is what you should accept, what fee would you be saying? Uh, higher or lower than thirty million? I think a smart buy is between twenty-five, thirty mil. I think that's what an English talent gets. I think the problem we've got is that, seeing what West Ham have done this season, we're stating a price that not many people. It's one of those where you think we're going to be strengthening a rival here. But <laughs> come on, I mean, you, you laugh, but West Ham have done better than Liverpool have this season. They're more of a rival than they are. So it's you're backing that to continue next season, though. I don't know, but it's one of those where you think, look, pay the money, we'll take we'll take the hit on the prize. Um, Forty million is the price. Basically, you're not going to loan him because he's only got two years left, and he's essentially said, from what we know don't even bother offering me a contract because I'm not going to be signing it. Um, he wants first-team football and he's prepared to go to a lesser side to get first-team football. I think he deserves it as well. I think that... He, he's your top scorer this back. season. Do you know that? He's your yeah. top scorer this season. That's mad. Going with Tammy. Um, him, to his, him your top scorer and um, <laughs> Lacquer our top scorer. It's, it's, it's a rough year. Yeah. I think... That he's not going to be. If we're going to be challenging for a title next season, time is not something that you're going to want up front. I don't think. I think there is. He can get better, and I think that if he's in a lesser team with more attacking opportunities, say he goes to a lesser team, and when you get mid two mid table teams that slog it out, there's less parking the bus, there's less like 12, eleven men behind the ball. Um, he's going to get more space, and that's where he's going to be effective. You put him in a team where you've got two banks of four in front of you and he's very ineffective because for a tall guy, he's not great at heading and he's not particularly fast either. He's, and he's not particularly agile. He always seems to be falling over. So it's kind of like, what what are you? What do you do? Um, you would think that he's like a target man or something like that. And he's he's a jack of all trades, master of none, really. He is always in the right place at the right time, which is a great trait to have as a striker. If he doesn't make a lot of things for himself, it has to be put on the plate for him. So Jack, Jack just destroyed Tammy here in front of us. <laughs> Forty million is out of the window. <laughs> the final, the final I'm one I had. Not above thirty mil. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go above thirty mil. But I do think if Chelsea don't ruin it, I think it's a good move for Tammy and good move for West Ham. Should they both do that, I think it yeah. could really work for them. Um, the final one, then another player is linked with a move this summer. Say they were comparing notes. Do you think Tottenham can ask for more money or less money for Harry Winks compared to Joe Willock? 
I think uh, less money. What kind of fee are you thinking? Upwards of 20 uh, million, lower? For Harry Winks, I'm thinking yeah. under 20 million. I'm, I'm thinking under 20 million. Call it maybe. It, it, he's, well, he's one who apparently is thinking where he may have to leave to get more football, basically. Probably but. right. Yeah, judging by his last few performances as well, I, I'm under 20 million for him. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it was somewhere between around the 15 mark. And what? to be honest, I, I I don't really have a lot of feelings towards him at the moment. Take that with a pinch of salt because obviously we played him in the cup final and he didn't have a, he was like not really present. But uh, you know, he's a bit of a different one for you than Alex. So, and this isn't kind of you selling him. This is you, you put your Tottenham hat on like you're in the boardroom. What kind of fee are you accepting at a minimum for Deli Ali if clubs come in the summer? Um, if you compare it to think, Tammy Abraham, I, I think um, I think for Deli Ali uh, because he has had a at least one very proven proven season, and you could maybe and you could yeah, and you could maybe argue that it's been a a psychological problem rather than a, I suppose it's you know goes hand in hand to be fair uh, but it's maybe just not a right fit at Tottenham anymore there's a great player there still um, it's just finding the right manager to steer him in the right direction and if you think you can take him to a club where that's possible I think you've got to ask for over 30 million for him um, I don't think I can't see I can't see us letting him go for any less than thirty million. Um, if you were to, if I, I was can't being see honest, him go for less than forty. To be honest, I don't think. Y- yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's really hard to not. It's really hard to. I, I don't think it is fair to judge him off um, how this last season's gone because you can make an argument for him not having given enough game time. He was out of the picture fairly quickly. Um, I know the performances that he did have weren't great. Um, he virtually had no moments this season so you are literally going off track record and previous performances and looking how he can integrate into a squad playing in a similar way where he was at his best so I, I, I could understand the argument for asking over 40 million but no, you know it's, uh, I I think um, yeah I meant uh, 40 million but I, I, I think I, if it were me, I would let him go for somewhere between 30 to 40 million, I think, because I, I think his attitude as a player is a bit more condemned than some people might. But I, how old is he now? I, I forget how old he's he is. He's only 25. He's only 25. See, that, only that's 25 older. That, see, that, that's, that's a bit older than I thought he was, actually, for some reason. I, I felt I like he'd been 23 forever. Yeah, yeah. I thought he's Not... a bit older than I thought. So, you know, it's kind of like for a player that doesn't offer a lot of pace it's more of a whole oh, yeah i don't know maybe he could mature quite well i, I don't know it's so hard i mean he, he's one you know, he's we, one we, that could come back we, and horn if you set him on the yeah court, he, he he could yeah definitely well definitely but we have said in the before i mean you said yourself tk he is a player that flatters to deceive so it's kind of like you know what 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 does I, he actually I would sell to... i would sell but it's just a case of acknowledging yeah you want to get a prize for it because he probably has the chance to do well somewhere else yeah. One last one um, for you, TK, before we get onto the boxing. I'll ask Alex our uh, movie madness question. Interesting one in the middle of this, and I've not seen any rumours that he is going to be off. What price do you think Liverpool could get for Oxlade Chamberlain? That's a good question, isn't it? Uh, 
that is one that does seem to be a growing conversation as well as to whether he will, will look, look to move. Um, You've got to kind of balance the potential with the injury issues. 20 to 25, maybe. I, I mean, that's what we should aim for, but we're a tricky one, not because we've sold sub goalkeepers for about 10 million pounds. Yeah. But then we could easily sell Ox for like 15. I can see you trying the loan like they did with Lingard, and I could see, assuming Barkley goes back and Villa don't say we're going to give you all this cash for him, I could see him going into a similar role at someone like that. I like that move. Um, I like that move. I saw, um, was it John Barnes? I saw someone say about him going to Leicester and with them bringing in Sumare. Um, I don't see Ox getting in that midfield anytime soon. No. No, I'd, um, like, to, I'd like to give him those, but like you said, I think there's every chance he could do a Lingard in terms of how we would pick up. It's just keeping him fit, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Keeping keep him fit and keeping him in that Liverpool team. It's, it's quite so, hard to get in there when they're all fit. Yeah. So, Alex, this week on Movie Madness, we have Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, Against Everest. Oh, what a matchup! Uh, um, well, you know, you know that I'm a you know a big fan of Revenge of the Sith, um, and it's probably my favourite Star Wars film. Even though I am a, a I pride myself. Well, I said I said pride myself. That's the wrong words. And um, I, I I champion the originals are the are the best trilogy, but. Um, <laughs> I don't know where that came from then. Jack prides himself on being a, a favour of the uh, newest, the yeah. newest trilogy. The newest trilogy, absolutely not. He's a But Ever Everest was the first film that I saw in IMAX, um, and I I was like like very very surprised with how much I enjoyed it. One of the toughest ones you've had for me yet. I'm going to go with, I'm going to let the childhood memory take over though. And I'm going to go with Revenge of the Sith just because of the, maybe it's the prestige of the other two, like, you know, the the yeah. whole series. But I'm going to go with Revenge of the Sith. And then I'd ask you, TK, but I don't think you've seen either. And yet I still think you could make a choice. <laughs> I mean, if you want me to guess which one I'll prefer, <laughs> I'd probably go with Everest, but I don't. There we go. Well, I- don't have too much on either, to be honest. I think neither would uh, be huge. For those tuning in, um, Keenan will be watching Star Wars. He's not a Star Wars fan. I asked him how much he knows about Revenge of the Sith, and he said um, he kills some kids and then turns into Darth Vader at the end. So, <laughs> I mean, I mean, he's got the idea. <laughs> yeah. That's so what, what I know about it. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I think an interesting way for this pod to go is to essentially compare how Jack sees Star Wars and how Keenan sees it, the <laughs> film, because they're complete opposite ends of the spectrum. So we'll see how we go in that. Um, that'll be released on Friday. But until then, me and TK have a little bit of boxing to get into before uh, we call it a night. So unless Jack or Alex did stay up for the boxing, then uh, we'll bid you farewell. I have watched the fight. Um, I won't pretend to know much about it, apart from Billy Joe Saunders looked like I couldn't even lay a glove on him. 
That's my unprofessional opinion. We may as well call it a night, TK Jacks, just summed it up for us. <laughs> kind of has. Right, see you guys later. In a bit. See you, mate. There we go. All right. Um, the first note I have down here to set the scene is that um, Billy Joe Saunders started the build-up by calling Canelo a little ginger word that rhymes with maggot uh, ahead of the fight. And so the way that this ended really was uh, poetic. So the fight was finished in round eight. Um the moment that Saunders decided to lunge, missed and was stuck in Canelo's lethal range, you'd have to say. Uh, Saunders tried to turn his head away, ended up turning into a uh, right uppercut, one of his favourite punches. And then uh, Saunders held, grabbed, moved, ducked and uh, clung on to hear the end of the bell in the eighth round. Um, before we get to that point, TK, I know... Uh, we didn't talk about it last week. You weren't picking. You weren't picking Billy Joe to get an upset here, were you? No, no, no. But I, I did think it might go to distance. I did think that. Yeah, my money was on uh, no yeah. knockdowns and unanimous decision. Yeah, I thought, I thought he might do might do one way. Sort of uh, dances around and does a, a kind of Huey Fury where now someone will come out and say it was shades of Ali in there. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't, but they can just say, "Wow!" On a different night, the judges would have given it to me, which they wouldn't, and probably claimed, "Oh, look at the judge in this corrupt whatever." Where we got that anyway. The result was, <laughs> and we kind of got a bit of that anyway, didn't we? Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess the first thing that occurred to me was after the fight started, the uh, almost hour-long ring walks had come <laughs> to a close. The fighters were in the ring. We'd had our five national anthems. The ease at which Canelo was laying a glove on him was the first thing that really occurred to me. I thought it would take a bit longer. And I think Canelo probably thought it would take a bit longer for him to kind of catch up with him. And we've heard for years that when you fight a fighter like Billy Joe Saunders, it's a lot harder to move your body than it is to move your head from side to side. So you aim for the body and then eventually you'll catch up with the head. And he was landing some really big body punches. I don't know if they were being flattered by like the acoustics of the ring, but he was landing some pretty meaty shots to the body right from the opening bell. Yeah, and look, I imagine this will probably be a podcast where we don't give huge amounts of credit to Billy Joe, um, as neither a huge fan. But you know, the fact that he didn't really show too much effect to them earlier no. was kind of impressive. Like you said, the sound of them was... They were Golovkin-esque, weren't they, in terms of how yeah. they were going in. Uh, but, but that was the nice work, wasn't it? Where you could see when he was going upstairs, he was having to work out a bit, Canelo. But those big body shots were landing. And I don't know about you, I kind of thought, even if... The commentators I thought were giving Saunders probably a little bit too much credit for some of his work. Far too much. Yeah. and But it kind of felt to me like... I was going to message the group actually saying around four or five that it might be sort of do or die already for Saunders here because even if he's doing okay, he's kind of getting dragged out to see and drown. The body shots were coming in, Canelo was keeping a pace on him and he was starting to look tired. Now, ironically, he obviously has his best round in round five. So Yeah, because at that point, I was worried that <laughs> Canelo had started, I think I texted you saying, I'm worried here. Yeah. Because I just had yeah. this moment in my head where 
I think Canelo, I mean, we've spoken about this before where we almost hold it against fighters for breathing in fights. Like Groves used to get it all the time. Like mm. if you have a moment spare in a fight, it, it does make sense to take a deep breath while you have the opportunity to do so. And I think I just saw Canelo take a deep breath and in the panic of not wanting this awful bloke <laughs> to win, I was like, well, he's really smashing these shots in. Is he tiring himself out? As Billy Joe done it perfectly. Obviously, it didn't happen that way. But during the build-up, I saw some saying, look, uh, Billy Joe's done this perfectly with the build-up, saying about the ring and all this, he's got in his head. And then I saw a couple saying the opposite, like, look, if that doesn't work, then all you've done is make an already horrible bloke in the ring (laughs) have more of a reason to want to hurt you. And it looked to be more of the latter because, we'll get to the ending, I quite enjoyed that Canelo made no bones about the fact that he didn't like Billy Joe Saunders. He made no kind of, well, Khabib Connor-esque, where he wasn't entertaining that it's just business. He went in there to hurt him, and right from the first punch that he threw, he looked like he'd come with more intent than you'd really seen of any other fight I can remember of his Size so maybe James Kirkland's, where he just came out that night. I mean, he just come out of prison <laughs> off the drink to decapitate him. So in a, in a fight of this size, it was the most spiteful I'd seen him. Yeah, I, I guess maybe that's where I could probably see some of your concern about him potentially tiring out was that he was loading up on punches yeah. more than we normally see. With him. And I, for, for what it's worth, as much as I don't particularly like him or how he's gone about it, from Saunders' point of view, maybe the hope of getting him riled up and doing that is the only thing you could hope for, was that he did have you know, a temper and that he would maybe empty the tank all he does. Because if you allow him to do his thing and be technical about it, then he'll, he'll do what he did. But it kind of ended up going a bit like, uh, you know, when like Hay tried to do it to Klitschko and it just kind yeah. of made him all the more <laughs> worse, didn't it? It's... And that was kind of where, where it ended up with Canelo, I think. It's, as people were saying, he's seen enough at this point, hasn't he, that he's probably yeah. not going to bite that for the Was it 60 fights now, and he's been in the game 15 years, and he's only 30? <laughs> yeah, and you imagine he'll have three fights again this year, so that's another at a time when the top fighters rarely do that. He wants, he wants a fourth, doesn't he? He wants the Caleb Plant fight. I would be the third, wouldn't it? Sorry. That's what I meant. He's had... Yildrim, Billy Joe and... Callum Smith. Sorry, I meant this kind of but you are right, yeah. Within the space oh, was Yildrim... Smith was oh. at the back end of last year, wasn't it? Is that That's it? what's confused me. I thought it was this year. Regardless, within the same yeah. 12 months, he probably will have had four fights that morning, which is insane. I know No, you're right. The week, week before Christmas. Yeah, fair enough. But still, absolutely mad, yeah. Caleb Plant, you think, will be before that. So within 12 months, he has four fights, which rare for the top fighters. The elite certainly is almost never heard of now. Even good level fighters don't do four normally. So no. So someone said he's carrying the sport, which I think I think Americans do overdramatize that. But at the same time, he's he is represented in a way that he's not had for a long time. Well, it's it's a difference, isn't it? Because he's actually taken fights. The Yildirim one aside, and look, it wasn't his choice to have to do that fight. Um, he's taken meaningful fights. It's not like 
we were tuning in to see Floyd, but no one of us really were interested in Floyd Berto. And we've at least like the Kovalev fight, the Callum Smith fight, the Billy Joe fight. Like they're interesting fights for us to get behind. And I saw going into this one, Billy Joe was saying a lot like, like the mindset of these other British guys that have got in there with him. I don't think they really came to win. And I don't know if I'm being harsh because I mean, as we've said, I don't particularly like Billy Joe Saunders, but. I'm not sure he came to win the way he was fighting because for whether people like this or not, they are in there to hurt each other, whether you want to call it the sweet science or not. So when looking at punch stats, and the punch stats, by the way, Cano landed more than Billy yeah. Joe Saunders. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. To win rounds the way Billy Joe does, when Canelo was punching like that, he needed to really more than double the output of what he was doing for each round because it only really adds up to defeat the power if you're conclusively looking like you're punching him around the ring and he wasn't he was doing just enough to kind of keep up with him but there was no real intent in the punches until four or five rounds in and maybe that was the worst thing that happened because once he realized actually he's caught him with a cracker here and he's not even budged yeah, I don't know. You are right in terms of the I'm coming to win thing was overplayed. And I don't think the others weren't coming to win. I think Cameron Swift was coming to win. He just realised he couldn't. Um, and I think the same thing happened with Billy Joe. He, he came and fought how he normally does. And he just found his level. I think, I think most most people he's going to beat with that. It's, he is one of our best technical boxers. He's slick. Yeah. And he's going to get past most people with that. But against Canelo, it isn't enough. Like I said, he, he had to have more output and probably had to sit down on the punches a bit more, which is which is more than we've ever seen him do. I, I thought those early rounds where he was not even necessarily winning rounds and still he looked to me like he's doing all he could. And it kind of reminded me a bit of the early uh, Bell-Yerusik where I'm thinking, okay, this guy's performing as good as he can. He ain't yeah. going to be able to do this for that long. Obviously, Ended pretty emphatically in Bowie's case. Uh, it could have gone the same way with Billy Joe if he'd gone out in that extra round, couldn't it? If only yeah. he'd given us that. Yeah. So that was that was the thing. So we start started off by saying about the punch. So in in that eighth round, Billy Joe, as he's as he's been doing all fight really, which shows what Canelo did. And credit to uh, Darren Barker and that Chris Lloyd because on that show they do, they actually pick the punch that. Canelo finished the fight with where they say the way that Billy Joe defends he's going to try and duck in and then that uppercut through the middle landed kind of flush um, Billy Joe catches that bang on the eye socket and he then looked distressed, he'd lost his composure he, he, he was desperate, hurt and it was one of them where you have that beautiful moment where you just see the fight leave a person. And we saw it in the UFC at times. I said to Rory Harris, it's one of the most beautiful things you can see in combat sports where you see that moment that the person just doesn't believe yeah, in themselves yeah, anymore. Sure. It was Greg Gillespie against Diego Fajaya, um And Gillespie was as knackered as he'd ever been. And then there was just a point where the pace that he did, Fahir couldn't cope with it anymore. And he just was just done. 
And we saw it in a more brutal fashion in this case because for all that had been done there, Canelo, when he started raising his fist, smiling at him, calling kind of the chorus of the stadium to kind of rear up and get excited about the slaughter we were about to see. It was very just, wasn't it? Yeah, it was heartless. And we saw more personality out of Canelo this week than we have in perhaps his entire career. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, in that respect, he's been, Billy Joe's been phenomenal for him, hasn't he? For being able to drag that yeah. out. And, and Canelo's obviously naturally very respectful, but will happily, seemingly, dish it out if you're going to give it to him. Well, it's the thing that we love so much about Golovkin, isn't it? That he is such a gentleman outside the ring. And then occasionally he'll say something so kind of savage, so chilling. And what he does in the ring, that nastiness, yeah, is what exactly. makes it even better. Because someone like Deontay Wilder, for the way they talk, we expect you to be like that when you get in the ring. For someone that talks like Canelo or Triple G does, when they switch, when they flip that switch when they get in there, there's just something that's so much more special about it. And him calling them on, like, he just knew. He... he he knew, I mean, he says himself that he knew instantly that he felt it crack. And the enjoyment he had from that <laughs> was like, maybe, and he says he knew that Saunders wasn't going to come back out. So perhaps he must have just thought, I'm going to enjoy this next two minutes. I think he did, didn't he? I for think every he, bit that I can. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly it. Um and Saunders looked like a guy, I said, looked like a guy who was drowning. Looked like, like I said, he had the fight beaten out of him. Whatever he's going to say about the eye closing up or whatever. Yeah. I think that eye could have been perfectly open and that would have been it. He, he'd had enough at that point. Yeah. He's been getting battered. Not battered, but he's, he's shipping punishment. Yeah. He really started shipping punishment in that round. And he's got this maniac coming onto him with 75. Well, I would worked him out as well, hadn't he? Like once he yeah. timed that shot, that was the main kind of defensive manoeuvre that Billy Joe was losing, was using in the pocket. And it was also the only way that he was winning rounds was when he did engage in there and then was able to get out of there because that's what looks slick when you get in, you land a meaningful shot and get out. It yeah. looks so much better than the two of you trading. For as much as Saunders had talked in the build-up, Canelo obviously isn't a man that forgets... Uh, there was no glove touch afterwards. There was no fake hug. There was no going and patting him on the back and seeing how he is. It it made it so much better after because it, it was essentially him saying, look, if you're going to talk like this in the build-up, then you've got to take this afterwards. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that was great, wasn't it? Because it was sincere, it was honest. Like you said, if, if you're going to make up after the fight, I want it because you, you yeah. actually did do, which very few of them probably do mean it. Um Ah, and by the way, this leads in nicely to the how it's being perceived afterwards with the quit and people fighting against yeah. it and kind of going out to bat for Billy Joe. I saw him credit for surviving the round. <laughs> Have you ever seen credit <laughs> for surviving a round before? The uh, the thing that you said about you know Canelo saying, "Well, if you're going to talk like this, you've got to take your punishment." Yeah. Is, I don't understand how how do people not get their head around this? Is that if you talk like he does, if you win? Congratulations, you've cracked it. And if you lose, you're going to get hammered. That is surely the the price you're accepting, isn't it? Is when you do this. Is well, that's the his gig? His fans seem shocked that that's the case. Like for for all of his yeah. sins, yeah. 
I truly believe that when Chris Eubank Jr. lost against Groves, or and I imagine the fight will happen at some point because of the way he sells it, when Eubank Jr. loses to Canelo, I don't think he'll find it hard to understand why people are reveling in his in his loss. No, no, I think he'll get it entirely. Whereas Billy Joe and his fans seem shocked. It's always the, oh, well, daring to be great. I mean, people just don't understand that this could be the case. The way he was going all week, the, the, the fuss he made up, and it was quite a good story, that one by Hearn, where he says he was gearing himself up to see what happens. And he said, look, he wants a 22-foot ring. Yeah, fine. Doesn't make a difference to me. <laughs> yeah. It looks cool when you finish him like he did, doesn't it? Even better, by when they pointed out that that's the biggest ring that Billy Joe had ever fought in. <laughs> it was a, it was a, I think they said it was an 18 foot one that he fought Lemieux in, by the way. So, Blimey. I know mean, there's levels there, but the way that he did kick up a stink. So, the way instantly, I think we said at the same time, like, that's a quit. There was the first thing, as soon as it happened, I tweeted, like, that is a quit. He has absolutely yeah. spewed it. He goes into the corner, and we both spotted the same thing. So, obviously, he's closing the eye to let them do some work on it, which he's supposed to do. He's wincing when they're doing the, the work. Completely understand that. He's mm. pressing like yeah. an end swell on there where your face has got a hole in it. Um, then he shakes his head, which you, you see, which is never a good sign. He then opens the eye back up. And then closes it again and yeah. keeps it squinted shut as if to say the eye's shut, which a lot it's of people really would say, look, he can't it. open his eye. He can't open his eye. He can't carry on. I said yesterday, I don't blame fighters. I don't blame fighters for quitting. I blame him for quitting. So <laughs> you can't talk like he did and then do that. The Dubois stuff, Dubois handled that perfectly, by the way, because... If he lowers himself and tweets something, then all the stick comes back round onto him. Him yeah, saying, right. heal up, heal up, do, do that thing there. Dubois fought for an extra five rounds after suffering that injury, by the way. And then eventually yeah. couldn't take it anymore. We've seen Paulie Malinaji, for all you say about him these days, fought one against Miguel Cotto. So for people saying... Well, I saw some saying Ebony Bridges carried on against Shannon Courtney. I drew the line. I drew the line there. But it's all it's all relative. Malinaji doing that against Cotto is as probably as rough as that could have been at the time. Yeah. Pacquiao yeah. aside, maybe. Pretty well. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, insane. And you, he talks about it now, and he uh, when I used to listen to his podcast, it was brought up. And he's like, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. Like, I don't see why people kind of bring this up and give me praise for it. Like, I could carry on fighting. So I carried on. And if we're saying that Billy Joe didn't have a chance to turn the fight around, Paulie Malanaji definitely didn't. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. So, no, I'm normally reluctant to talk about quitting too much. Uh, only in that it gets kind of mischaracterized is if you say they quit, you're inferring that you wouldn't quit. Whereas we kind of take it as yeah. a prerequisite as, well, we wouldn't even get in there. So we ain't saying that. We're not saying, you know, that 
or we'd be we'd suck it out. Very, very few people would. Very few I have no issue with Kel Brook civilians. against Golovkin saying, I've had enough. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly exactly. The Errol Spence one. It it's not a good look. I mean, you, you like to imagine that boxers are these kind of otherworldly humans that would never do that. But if if you feel you can't carry on, I've no issue no. with you stopping there. The issue it's, is with how a quit is characterised because yeah, exactly. It's the it's the fallout afterwards. We spoke after Dubois and said, look, we, no issue with it. It's not a good look, mainly no. because of how pros talk about it compared to how well, uh, fans the, talk about it. I mean, he really got thrown under the bus by almost everyone as well, didn't he? I mean, the IFL coverage is sickening in comparison. It's insane, isn't it? It's because. Um, I remember after the Dubois stuff, they were quite explicit in terms of they would ask someone like, well, did he quit? Whereas even like in the, the phrasing, the questions with this, he'd be like, and you know, no one could accuse Billy Joe of quitting, could they? And then, yeah, so you've absolutely. already teed up your answer already. And it's, yeah, not just them. They are the, the worst ones for it because obviously he's mates with Billy Joe. But yeah. it has been so much of it generally from Box and from the media that just seems so inconsistent. I guess well, Mark Tibbs says, doesn't he? He says, he told me um, he couldn't see um, about that. He said his eye had gone. I asked him about another round. He, he said he couldn't do it. Fair enough. Like, but it's, Mark it's Tibbs, I don't think Mark Tibbs really would know how to lie. Like, he doesn't seem the type. No, no. I think because he's uh, tried backtracking on it since. Right, right. Of course he has. The yeah, like you said, the problem is people going up to the bathroom and say, "Oh, he would have carried on." Like, but he has actively chosen not to. And it's kind of, I said at the time with Dubois that the thing he was guilty of was being naive in yeah. terms of taking me in the middle of the ring is a horrible look and makes people call you a quitter. Where if you go in the corner and you can say, right, call me out on the quiet, whilst yeah. going, no, no, I wanted to carry on, then that's kind of the way to do it. And that's kind of what Billy Joe's going to do. And we haven't really heard from him yet, but no doubt that will be how it was. Yeah. will be rewritten, will be that I wanted to carry on, but the corner saved me from myself, which Everyone the camera knows. shows us that wasn't the case. Everyone knows the minute you say I can't see, we the UFC are quite good at calling out mainly because you don't really have anyone that isn't a fighter on the commentary. Like they're they're quite yes. good at letting them do it. And I remember it was Felder in DC on there, and uh, there was a, a woman I forget her name. She was facing Tisha Torres, and her eye went in the fight. I say went like obviously punched in. That's a, another thing they get said. <laughs> But she got back to the corner, and the first thing she said is, um, oh, I can't see. And DC actually called her out, and he said, you know when you say you can't see. She said it to the doctor, I think. Yeah, she said it to the doctor. She said she can't see, and he was like, I know if I say I can't see to the doctor what they're going to do. He said, there's other things you can do to let the doctor do it. And I remember a couple of weeks before, there was an issue with a fighter that clearly didn't want to carry on. And they had the camera in the corner, and the corner kept saying, do you want to carry on? And he was going, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah and he was giving the hesitant like that. This, yeah. yeah, and they kept asking, and DC was calling it out then, and he was saying, this kid doesn't want to carry on. He was like, as a corner, there's other ways you can do this. As to not put it, it shouldn't be put on the fighter to say, I want to stop. Because 
they're not going to do that. And this was no. the case in, in with that one. Billy Joe didn't want to carry on, and he did quit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he backed himself into a corner with the way he talked about Canelo and the actions he's done over the last few years and stuff as well. This was always yeah. going to go bad. But even if he didn't have that rap sheet, even if he was good as gold, but the one thing he had done was go to town on Dubois like he did and said, I would never do yeah. that and all that. As soon as you say it, my sympathy for you is gone because well, I've got you will never know until you're, you'll never know until you put it in the situation. But the first time he's yeah. been put in the situation, he jacked it. He actually did an interview with um, the Telegraph and the build-up to this, uh, separate to the Dubois thing. And... Right. Uh, he said, um, I'll go and go until I can't breathe anyway. I'd rather get knocked out cold or have a hemorrhage fit every which way but lose. Um, Tibbs had said his eye socket was caged and he couldn't see. I didn't get a response that I wanted from him, um, so I had to pull him out. Um, uh, Billy Joe said, every fighter needs to understand and the fans need to understand. In the past, we've seen a lot of tragedies in boxing deaths in the ring. But before I go on one knee, I'd like to go out on my back with my pulse stopped. You look at the greats, the eyes, the face. We get through that. That's the path in life we choose for a living. We punch people in the face and we get punched in the face. If my two eye sockets were broken, my jaw was broken, my teeth were out, my nose was smashed, my brain was beaten, I will not stop until I'm knocked out or worse. I don't agree with a man taking the knee and letting the ref count him out. He also told Canelo on Wednesday... You have never faced a man with a heart like this traveller. <laughs> so, but, um, I think he's is it Eduardo or Belanga, that uh, up-and-coming boxer. He's yeah. come out today and said, Billy Joe's a pussy. He quit. <laughs> and someone just said, well, we'll give it two years before now. This is definitely going to happen to him. Yeah, yeah, you've definitely played yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing, and I can see why. If you're a boxer with all the uh, machismo and stuff, everything about you, you probably think you won't quit, but you best be sure you're gonna, because when it comes down to it, you're probably gonna get a chance to find out. We found out, did you? I remember after the the Brook thing, for example, Eubank went to town on him. Yeah, he said, "Look, I, he's I would pretty consistent." <laughs> but yeah, the thing with him is, I can totally believe it that that he would carry on no matter what, as long as he tries. Yeah, to. we obviously won't know until we. Until we obviously we have to find out, and in which case, if he does quit, he's going to get a lorry load of abuse, and he has to. Yeah. And like you said, I'm sure he'll realise. I remember he said actually, I think it was Dukuga on the camera. He said, "Well, you've got it on record now, so if yeah. I do ever quit, you can play this back." Belly so, talks a big game for someone that definitely spewed it against Adonis Stevenson. Um, <laughs> the others, like Frampton, was one who's been quite vocal about it. Um, I, I do find it hard to imagine him quitting in the ring. Um, no, I, I can't see him quitting, though. The ones that do say... The most disappointing one was Frotch, because if ever there was a time I won him on commentary, this was probably the time, mm. because I thought, mm. right, he's going he's gonna to go to town now. And he's done several interviews since, saying, well, no, he definitely didn't quit. No, he's, it helps yeah. that he's mates with him. He was hanging out with him in Fury in the week, wasn't he? So I think that was it because, intermittently, Frotch was oddly the voice of reason at times, which is probably a reflection of where the zone's coverage is in terms of having like Chris <laughs> for example. And Frotch was saying sometimes I thought, okay, you've got some of that raw honesty that 
even the Sky Sports coverage, you thought, I quite like Aaron Foch here because whether you agree with him or, or you like him or not, he does have some raw honesty to it. But yeah, you, you did sense he was going out to bat for Swans at times where if he had had that bit of distance between himself and the fire, I think he really would have given us what we wanted. It's probably hard when you've got Chris Mannix in your ear saying, I've given him four rounds. Where, I mean, we've, we've, to be fair, and I'm not saying you would ever give me a scorecard as bad as Chris Mannix did, but if you text me on Saturday when I think I gave Billy Joe one round or two rounds, one round, I think, and that's probably harsh, um, two rounds I think you can give him. But if you text me on Saturday saying, I've got it 4-4, I would second guess myself because I would think, what is he seeing that I'm not seeing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know you mean. Chris Mannix does have history, so maybe Frotch shouldn't take that as gospel. But for Frotch to hear that, I have to just imagine that maybe he second guessed himself because I saw an interview he did after um, where he said, Look, I didn't think, I thought Billy Joe was doing well in the fight, but then I looked down at my scorecard and I've given him two rounds. So. Like, I don't want this to come across like I think Billy Joe is winning, like my colleague Chris Mikes did. <laughs> so he was pretty straight down the middle there. And it's fair to say, like, your expectations for Billy Joe that you think he did better than you thought, but at the same time, he wasn't winning the fight. Like, I saw someone say that rounds aren't scored on a gradient. Like, no, it's just no, who does exactly the better work. It. Yeah. And and you can yeah, you can be really good in a round, and the other guy can just be a bit better as well. It's not a the rounds that Billy Joe did win were as much for Canelo just not really throwing anything. Like that was where the volume did work for Billy Joe because if Canelo had then just thrown two of his big shots in them rounds, he he may well have won the round. The first one, I can see why people scored it to Billy Joe. I wouldn't but argue too much either way. No. For me, the, the body shot you threw in the corner and the work, for me, took over. Yeah. But at the same time, I was giving rounds to Canelo because I was cheering for him to win. The same as uh, certain people on IFL scoring at 4-4. That's literally like every round where he hasn't taken a paste in, you're seeing and saying that Billy Joe's won that round. Being selective about what you what you pick, don't you? And they must be hard when it is your mate, but at the same time, don't don't preach honesty. Like if 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 Rory is having a fight and he he's spoken about this several times, <laughs> saying uh, I'd be his corner man, but I'm going to score that differently to if if I'm scoring a Carl Froch fight, go with the two it, Fs. Entirely uh, undermines your credibility, doesn't it? If you're going to be that. That, yeah, uh, sort of bias about it. Everybody knows. Is that, the, the thing with it is, well, the ironic thing with people scoring is, so often with Billy Joe, you'll say in a fight of his that, well, it depends on what you like. Because if you like the quality, you'll go with Billy Joe. In this fight, if you like the quality, you were going with Canelo because yeah. he was landing in that first round, for example. That was, to be fair, actually, that was the only round where it was quality versus quantity, wasn't it? Like, Billy Joe landed a couple of pit of patter punches, but the quality where it came from Canelo in terms of like I said, two or three body shots. I'm like, okay, that's probably enough to win that round for me. Yeah. But I could at least see an argument for Billy Joe. The other ones I thought were pretty cut and dry. Pretty clearly Canelo most of the rest of them. Round five was really good for Billy Joe. I do think that's probably where the seeds of the quit were maybe sown. In terms of once you've had a round like that, 
and then round six is back to as you were. That must break your heart a little bit. That's not a criticism of him. That must do. You probably think, I've done all I can here yeah. in this round before, and this guy's still come back again. And just, it's like that round never happened. Yeah. Well, I think he'll stay quiet now. Um, hope it all blows over and then put a statement out about fair play, better man on the night. Uh, I'd love a rematch when my eye isn't gone. Yeah, I think you're right. Do you think he'll, do you think he'll fight again? I've got a Finney Kimbrasaya. I saw Jamie Moore say that. Um, I think he'll fight again, but I don't think it'll be against anyone serious. Um, no. For, for every serious fight he's ever had, and they are few, he's then not fought anyone else with a pulse. No, no, it's true. For the next several years after. I mean, I think it was Gareth A. Davis said that the experience that Billy Joe had, he's seen just about everything in the ring. He's not really. Has he? <laughs> had it go anything other than his own way? That one YouTube fight, whatever it was, he got clipped, didn't he? Uh, on was yes. it on the Jake Paul Gibb card or something like that? Um, he got clipped briefly and then stopped the guy, and that was what the most adversity he faced. So this was a he guy got, who he got clipped in his one when he was they found Steven just crowned him. Yeah, yeah, clipped in that one. But, but yeah, no, no, in terms of real adversity, it being on top of him, that's the first time we've seen it against Canada. Tough time yeah, to get that. Yeah. I, yeah, I just thought, I just don't, I don't know what else there is. I always felt like he was reluctant to get in with someone like Callum Smith. I don't see either of them being in a rush to fight each other, for example. Well, I think when they'll they try and make the Eubank fight. And, and I, don't, I don't think he'll give Eubank another chance to redeem that. I think, I think he'll be he'll thinking, well, I've got one nil Maybe obviously they'll, they'll if they can cover up the cash, it'll do it, won't they? But it just he feels to me like a guy who will take the one nil over Eubank and run with it. To me, I could be totally wrong, but that's how I would see. Maybe dad, dad fills in and says you better get back out there. I think a lot of boxers do put far too much value on going out on a win, and so we may see a, a WBO interim or something. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. He probably does that. Doesn't look that good, and they say, yeah, he's just not got the motivation anymore, and probably goes, doesn't he? Oh, and that or Hearn and thinking that it'll be a good promotional job, he's going to have to massively overpay him to try and get him in with Andrade. I was, I was about to say maybe him and Andrade are just left with each other. They can't find anyone else that is going with each other. Which, yeah. I mean, that'll be a hideous watch. Oof. Yeah, I've, I've said before there's. I stayed up for Jessica Rye against Cynthia Calvillo. <laughs> I genuinely don't stay up for Andrade. Like, it does nothing for me. Yeah, it's fortunate that him and Liam Williams was a, a reasonable hour for us, wasn't it? Yeah. I'm not sure. There we go. But I think the best call today, because my one headphones died and the other one, you, you'll be left in it on your own. So <laughs> we'll say uh, goodbye for now. Next week, we will pick our England squads and we've got another couple of things written down so it should be a big one next week um, but we've had a long one today uh, got a lot of things in the open so thanks again for listening to another edition of Spitballing Pod check out Movie Madness this Friday and obviously we'll be back next Monday goodbye <laughs>